1: Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. The TalkSport Fan Network
2: is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So, the only thing left to say is, you win. Welcome to the Chelsea Fancast, fuelled by Guinness, powered by Celery. The show that has just about survived the international break. Uh, With very little going on with Chelsea this week, it's been encouraging to see Ethan Ampadu impressing for Wales and Olivier Giroud finally breaking his scoring drought for France. And of course, with Chelsea facing Cardiff on Saturday... There's a good case to be made that one of these two should start, and considering Cardiff's on-pitch shithousery, perhaps Ampadu can be added to kick a few of his countrymen. Anyway, with that lovely benign thought, uh, it's about time we got on the show, and of course tonight it is the Chelsea Fancast number four We're going to rock down to Ethan Ampadu, courtesy of the lovely uh, Walter Odson, who penned a song which didn't catch on quite like his William one, but I like it. It made me laugh. Now on the show tonight we have got Mr. Kidd.
0: Lovely to be here, Mr. Chidge.
2: Yes, uh, we missed you on uh, Friday evening? Uh, oh, at the sweet, old Love Sport thank you. Towers, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I yeah, went to the uh, good...
0: I went to the playground with my
2: daughter. Did you? You had the, you had yeah. a lovely a lovely night off, and, and she jolly well should.
0: She's she's twenty six, so it was a, uh, it was yeah. a bit peculiar. Yeah.
2: yeah. yeah. Did no, anybody she's not ask everybody.
0: you. She, she's Did... nine.
2: Really, they—they they weren't asking you whether you were her granddad then, or something like that.
0: Uh, that's really horrible, Chidge.
2: <laughs> Isn't that what they always say? You know, when you—if you are with—I know she's only nine, but if she had been twenty-six, you know, and uh, they'd have thought she, I
0: was a perv.
2: Yeah, well, um, let's let's move on, shall we? Rather than perving with Jonathan, Um, I'm delighted to say that uh, the two guests that we have on the show tonight are definitely not pervs of any kind whatsoever. In fact, they are probably, uh, you know, the least pervy. They're the least pervy, that's true, Jonathan, but they're the most erudite, I think, of all the people that we have on this show. And I'm not entirely sure whether we've had them on together, but I'm sure Joe will enlighten me if that, in fact, has been the case. Anyway, Joe, it's great to have you both. We've had you on loads recently. We feel blessed.
3: Yeah, I'm particularly happy that I'm on the, literally my favourite formation, the 4-3-3, so I'm on Chelsea Fancast 4-3-3, so I'm quite, well, I'm quite happy. Oh, Lovely.
2: Yes, that makes me happy too. And uh, of course, the delightful Ollie Harbord. It's great to have you with us. We we seem to speak to you more regularly uh, on a Friday now with the old uh, press uh, reportage. It's nice to get you back on the main show, Ollie. How are you, mate?
1: I'm very well, mate. And I have to say, being uh, being described as the less pervy person is quite a, quite an interesting introduction. I don't think I've ever heard that one before. <laughs> no? so, so, thanks very much for that. But yes, yeah, my to be pleasure.
2: Back, you can count on the Chelsea fan cast for that kind of stuff. That's what we're about. Uh, right. Um, and actually, as a little kind of an intro to the intro, if you see what I mean, just to kind of... I've been having interesting chats with the fellow fancasters recently about what we are about. And uh, I think we are definitely about what we've always been about, which is a group of mates who generally go to the games together. I mean, I know Ollie, Ollie's, Ollie's a journo, but he's a mate. We like Ollie. Uh, Joe I used to sit down the road from Until he buggered off to Denmark But he's he's a mate You know It's basically everybody we like And we go to the games but with And that's kind of what this show's about it's, it's Chidge about I never really... go to the
0: games with you Ch- Chidge Well I you never, do I... when you
2: invite when Oh yeah you invite come on, Do you want to come on box. Saturday
0: Come to Cardiff on Saturday Chidge As a reward uh, I might
2: yeah I might I might I might take you up on that actually. I Good we'll, talk about, we'll talk about it we'll talk about it. Yeah 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 yeah. <laughs> but you know that's what we're about. It's about really what it's always been about for me at Chelsea which is as much to do with the the you know the before and the after as much as it is on the pitch, you know. We're not really about, you know, fanboys and 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 stats and all that stuff, um, you know, this is what we're about. And I think that makes us authentic. And and there you go. And that's why I love it. Imperfect though it may be, that's why I love it. There we go. Anyway, that's my speech over for tonight. Uh, Right, on this very night, on the show tonight, uh, we'll be discussing the impressive performances of Ampadu and Oli Giroud's goal against the Dutch in part two. We've got a half-term report on the Chelsea players. Who needs to concentrate in class more and who is the teacher's pet? Uh, well, I used to hate reports because I used to get absolutely awful ones. And that they, they were kind of filled with, uh, you know, David is a daydreamer. David should spend less time making people laugh and more time doing what he's told. And all these kind of things. I used to hate my reports. <laughs> They're all true, though. You know, but anyway, so I think we're going to do a bit of a halftime report on the Chills, uh, And uh, we're also going to have a look ahead to Chelsea in the Caribou Cup and the Europa Cup which, of course, are imminent. They are a mere week or two away. And uh, we're also obviously going to have a look at uh, Saturday's match against Cardiff and explain why we hate Neil Warnock. Perhaps I'm alone in this. Uh, Maybe I've been a bit unfair to ascribe this to a respected journalist and a respected social media influencer and uh, a BAFTA award-winning actor. But uh, I'm sure they'll agree with me anyway. Um, Now, in part three, we've got uh, emails for Jonathan to read out. uh, One on swapping Kante for De De Bruyne heaven forbid, and uh, one American fans journey following Chelsea and where to meet up on a match day and where to sit at Stamford Bridge. And uh, in part four, we've got a roundup of the usual Chelsea supporters news. And I think, you know, I say this optimistically, you know, this is kind of like a bonus podcast. There was a time when I couldn't be asked to do them on an international break. I would be lying if I told you that the reason we're doing one tonight is that I forgot we had an international break. Uh, but hey, you know it's a bonus podcast. Uh, but there's not a lot of Chelsea per se to talk about, so I'm I'm fairly optimistic that actually, as you've got you know at least two very intelligent people on the show tonight, uh, that'd be Ollie and uh, Joe, obviously. Um, you know there's there's, a, there's plenty of vehicle for questions from Mixer live questions, and I know I know the Mixer peeps like this, so you've got a magic opportunity here to talk to Ollie, whose finger is massively on the pulse. I mean, the poor bloke has to write. About 500 articles a day for Football London on Chelsea. So, you know, every every angle is covered with Ollie. And as you know, when it comes to stats and formations and the youth, there is there are a few better people to talk to about that than Joe Tweed. So, you know, get your questions in when I tell you to get your questions in, and we'll see what we can do to answer them. There we go. Now, uh, talking of people on Mixler, of course, you can always listen to this show live every Monday. Live. 7 o'clock p.m. by going to Mixler, which is dot com forward slash chelsea-fancast. And uh, there is a wonderful chat room in there of which there are many people in there. Um, I will give you an example. Um, We've got Benjito, who we know and love, who says, Did you guys hear the song the French players sang about Kante? Uh, I I didn't dare listen to it, but I'm aware of it. Hazardous17 says, Evening Chidge, best fucking title ever. I think I've made that young man very happy. Uh, If she don't come, says good evening all. uh, 30A Blues. Hey, boys, from Santa Rosa Beach, Florida. Now that's... I mean, I know it's kind of hurricane season at the moment, so it might not be so nice, but that is a lovely part of the world. Uh, Boboos Ray. Vindicating absolutely what I said in my, my kind of pissy speech beforehand. That's what makes this podcast so special for me, is you guys go to the games and impart the experience so well for those of us who can't go to the games. I couldn't agree more. We're, we're, we're a bit like your, your um, visual in aids or your spirit guides. You can choose. Um, you can even choose if, if you want us to be your spirit animal. I welcome your suggestions on that. Anyway, uh, Mixler, get in there. It's great fun. Loads of superb people in there, all having a chat and uh, mucking around uh, at the same time. Right, after this very small break, uh, we'll be talking about football. <laughs> So there we go. Um, Well, you know, in the absence of a Chelsea match, uh, you know, we've been forced to watch the international matches. I must admit, I mean, with England's, uh, you know, half-decent performances in the World Cup, I was less kind of, uh, you know, off the idea of international football than I have been in recent times. Um, Having said that, I elected to stay in in with my missus and have a very nice meal on Saturday night and then watch Deadpool 2 instead of uh, going nipping down to the pub <laughs> and watching the football. So I am clearly a bit of a, a fair-weather England fan. Uh, but as they lost 2-1, it seems that I didn't really miss much at all. The fact that I then had to go and talk all about it on the radio for four hours the next day kind of slipped my mind entirely. And I realised the error of my ways until that actually happened. But there you go. Um, but anyway, instead of, instead of England, uh, which had the sum total of all Chelsea players playing for it on Saturday... Um, the man yes. that caught the eye, the man uh, that uh, rightly deserves our attention and praise right now, is the one and only Ethan Ampadu, who was absolutely rocking it uh, last week. In, and I mean, I'd say he was the star of the show uh, in the Welsh-Wales win against Ireland. Um, his range of passing and, 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 and his strength in the tackle was just fabulous. And of course, Ryan Giggs played him in a defensive midfield role, didn't he, Oli?
1: Yeah, he did. And that's going to be a, a really interesting one to see where he sort of carries on his career at Chelsea. I think that, you know, if you look at the Europa League squad and the fact that Drinkwater's has not been included, but Ampadu has, I think that might be a bit of a clear sign of, of where Sarri maybe sees him as well, as as well as Giggs playing in, in that sort of defensive midfield role. I think the uh, potential backup to Jorginho is, is certainly on the cards.
2: Mm. I mean, the phenomenal thing, Jonathan, is that, you know, we're, we're very old. We're old enough probably to be Ethan Amperdue's grandfather. No, That's no, a very frightening thought. No, me,
0: I'm, I could be his great really, grandfather. You could, Church. couldn't yeah, you? God I could, Almighty, I could, yeah. 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 Except I'm not Welsh.
2: No, that's very true. And nor would yeah. he be, in fact, if he, if you he were his grandfather, and I suspect he might be quite relieved. Uh, having yeah. said that, I hope Gion's not in the house and heard that. Because he might not speak to me anymore, but I mean, I mean, look, look. I, there's a, Theon, pa- there's a Theon, couple of By the way, that- Theon, Theon igno- annoys me because he keeps posting in Welsh. What are
0: we supposed T-Z. to do about that? Yeah, he always tweets. You know, Learn I just keep Welsh, thinking, This mate. is so unfair. Yeah, I have to. I have to that's probably what yeah, I could do. Yes, can do. Yachidar, Can I just say that, that I feel yes. that my role on tonight's show with with both Joe and Olion who are um, as we've established, uh, somewhat fluent in their appreciation <laughs> of our team, is uh, perhaps I should just squeak a bit and make noises, because uh, I'm good at that, and just go... You are. You know, or, oh, yeah. or... Whenever they say something, well, or laugh, actually, rather than actually yeah, you, contribute. And can I just I, make I, one I had, point? Yeah, yeah, one yeah point go it. Um Alonso played for Spain, and we seem to be ignoring him.
2: Well, that's true. That's because true.
0: Because he, he had a very strange game.
2: He did, which didn't
0: is he? all he did was just sort of pass the ball sideways, and he did one good centre. But I thought we're not seeing the same player who plays for Chelsea. He was under a yeah. different kind of uh, um, uh, different well, rules was being, for how well, he should exactly. play. Exactly,
2: and and, and uh, you know that's the bloody Spanish way, isn't it? Listen, old bean, I was having yeah. a chat with some people who kind of know their onions, i.e. Oh, fellow yeah. fancasters, and and we were we were saying actually that uh, you know you you do you do kind of contribute an awful lot of strange noises uh, both on <laughs> noises off and and noises on 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 the, both the love sports show version of this and this show and yet the reality is. Uh, and, and it's required. You, know, you need it. You need those. Well, noises. I know, I know. Yeah. But I think it's about balance. And we were all everybody I've been speaking to recently. Not not that we spend our time in the pub talking about you, obviously. <laughs> but uh, the the point that was being made was actually Jonathan knows as much, if not more, about football than all of us. And when he talks <laughs> about the football. He does it with more gravitas <laughs> and authority than the rest of us. And what a shame, oh, he'd geez. you know, maybe more football talk and less noises is what I'm uh, saying. Uh, really. so don't don't do yourself down. Don't oh, do sweet. yourself thank down, you. mate. Thank Remember, you. you've seen nice more football you. than all of us put together. Well, because so it's so because I makes.
0: am, in fact, that's the reason that I cannot talk about it. It's because I am unbelievably
2: old. So, uh, you uh, you yeah. we comparison. love you. Olden but yeah, golden, yeah. Jonathan. Yeah, thank you. But I'll make a few noises for the moment.
0: Going back to
2: going back to yeah. age, Jonathan. Uh, <laughs> yes. the, the remarkable thing is, is that you know Ethan Ampadu is seventeen, and that kind of and that's very young for anybody breaking into club football, let alone international football. And it's just occurred to me that you know those pe- those kids that break into uh, fo- you know club and international football of that age are usually. Very, very, very special, and go on to great things, and that can well, make it's an example, isn't it? Well, is an example you know, because well, exactly. he's eighteen. Michael Owen, uh, yeah, Wayne yeah. Rooney, being you know recent England examples, and I think that the point that I'm trying to make here is that. Uh, maybe that's how we should be looking at Ampadu. and I mean, we've all we've all we all watched him play for Chelsea last season. When he we I think he made seven uh, appearances in, uh, for, for Chelsea last season. He always looked completely comfortable and at home, and then he gets launched into this Welsh side by Ryan Giggs again, another player who, of course, started very young in his career, so he'll know what that's all about. So I, I'm kind of thinking, you know, maybe he could be the one, you know, the one that we're all hoping for. You know, it's a bit like um, King Arthur, isn't it? And the, the sword is <laughs> I, I, he is he the one to be able to pull Excalibur out of the rock?
0: Personally, it's not just the one. I'm after about three or four. You well, know, I'd that's like true, to, but I'd like Hudson to be the, it? the other one, and I'd like um, Mason Mount to be the other one, and uh, I'd like them all to have come from the from the youth. But yeah, he's clearly uh, um, possibly more likely for me to make it than Loftus Cheek um, because of his unbelievable calmness. That's the impression I get from him all the time. And also he's a little bit of a dirty bastard. Let's be honest, yeah. isn't he? He, he, he leaves tackle, his, he? He, he, he likes a tackle. He leaves his footed. He even described, didn't he, after he'd made a tackle on some poor, what was it in the, was it the cup game when he said, I really like that tackle that I did on the poor bloke, but then went off and yeah. you thought, Leicester, yeah, yeah. we, we, yeah, that's right. We've got the, uh, We've got the cut of your jib, young man. We know what you're like. But um, yeah, I, I it's it's. I, it, I don't think it's a shame that he can't find his way into the first team. I think it's 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 indicative of the strength there is in the side at the moment. And as you know, I'm a fan of Louise. I know he's been given a very hard time recently because his lack of concentration. But I think Louise is a top player, and I will always hark back to the season before last. Where I thought he was completely brilliant. So I'm. Mm. Um, I just hope that um, I think what he'll. What's going to happen, as we, as you've established, he's going to play in the Europa League, and uh, and and the and the Carabao, I think. And um, let's just see how that evolves. I mean, you know, this season is when you described at the beginning of the show that it was uh, the season was was a half time report. It's more like a, a um, an eighth of the first term report, really, isn't it?
2: So, well, it's not. It's not half time. You can have you you have several half terms throughout an academic year, Jonathan. Oh, half-term. Oh, after... Sorry, half-term. Yeah, Half-time. Term. Half half time. But even anyway, half...
0: let's... Can...
2: Yeah, yeah. Can, can we pick this up with Joe? Yeah, because Joe is yeah. our, our resident expert yeah. on youth players and has a bigger desire to see any of them break through to the first team than all of us put together. Do you think Do you think that Ampadu could be the one? I mean, the thing is, Joe, is that, you know, Sarri, from what I understand about Ampadu, he's not going to cock around. You know, he wants to play football. So if he doesn't think he's going to get in, he's going to go, even if he is only 17. And Sarri seems to have uh, been quite deliberate in making sure he's around still. So there's a, you know, and, I, and I'm and i intrigued by the fact that, you know, he can clearly play either in the cent- central defence or in, in uh, you know, defensive midfield. So, you know, we have options with him. So do you, do you, are you hopeful, Joe? Please tell me you're hopeful.
3: Uh, I think I'm incredibly hopeful with him, Chidge. I think... Just a slight sort of asylum, this for the time being. Looking at how Chelsea use him, and and in particular Hudson Odoi going forward, I think what you're you're seeing in Europe now, particularly in kind of English or British youngsters coming through, is that they are very very in tune with taking their own career in their own hands. You only have to look at Jonathan Panzo, who moved from Chelsea to Monaco in the summer. who's already on the fringes of the Monaco team at 17. Uh, Sancho at Borussia Dortmund, and other players who have left. Uh, England to go and kind of find careers abroad. Sancho's, I think, already in discussions about being included in the full England squad as well. So I think there, there is a bit of a danger that, you know, previously we've been quite reluctant to to use some of these players, even in sort of cup games or or to give them some sort of minutes that maybe their talent deserves. And I think potentially, particularly with with Hasan there there's rumours that he's still not signed that contract extension that the club have asked him to and potentially Ampadu as well, that... If you if you don't start giving them a, a pathway or the opportunities that they feel they deserve, you know they will start leaving the club. And I think for Chelsea's business model, when you think that I think Panzo was about a three and a half million pound fee to Monaco, um, you know he's probably you know a, a twenty twenty million you know maybe a twenty million pound talent even at the age he is now. So. Chelsea can't afford even from a business level to let these kids go after they've, uh, you know, before they've really signed their first professional contract. But coming back to, to Ampadu, I think he's just an incredibly talented footballer. And in many ways, I mean, not from sort of a concentration standpoint, but for quite a while, David Luiz had this kind of discussion about whether he was better at centre-back, whether he could play in midfield. I think Ampadu maybe is a little bit more um, suited to, to to being a centre-back long term, but I think he's He's more than uh, got the skill set to play in midfield, and and actually, the more you see him play, I think he's he's what six foot now. He's got probably another four years of growing physically. Yeah. I think how how big he is is going to maybe determine where he plays because yeah. you look at ball playing centre halves. Ampadu has the ability to pick passes out. He's incredibly aggressive. You know, he doesn't get beaten one on ones. He's very astute at reading the game. He's almost a perfect modern centre back. And, and and in many cases, a lot of the guys with that skill set now would probably have played as a holding midfielder maybe five years earlier. So. I think his, his his physical kind of prowess is going to determine where he plays, but I think he's an incredibly gifted footballer. And I think, as uh, Jonathan alluded to, I do feel sometimes our midfield, particularly when we play some of the bigger games or even some of the teams who just try and try and kick us off the park like Newcastle did the other week, we we lack a bit of bite, we lack a bit of physicality in in midfield. And Ampadu does have that little bit of nastiness about him, I and in some ways, that kind of that edgy brings to midfield does remind me a little, little bit of what we had when we had Michael Essien in there because. You knew that Essien would would put some would put a challenge in on someone if you thought that they were trying to take liberties with players, and I don't think we've seen that in a in a Chelsea player for a while. So I love his attitude. I think he's incredibly talented. He's, he's fantastic with the ball at his feet. He reads the game so well already. And I think you, we still have to keep reminding ourselves that he's just 17. I mean, he turns 18 in about a, a week's time or something. But this is a 17-year-old who you know is is showing the kind of composure that you would maybe associate with someone in their early 20s. So huge, huge uh, talent. I think he should uh, definitely be, be in consideration for playing in the Europa League. I probably would just give him all, all the cup games and all the Europa League games. I don't think you'll see a a huge drop-off with with whoever he deputises for. So, you know, it's it's up to the club now. You know, they have this potentially, uh, you know, a, a guy who could be a first-team player at Chelsea within two years. It's up to them now whether they want to play him or not, whether they want to give him the time that, they, that he probably thinks he deserves. So, yeah, I think he's incredibly talented and definitely one for the future and, and in terms of positions i think it's it's going to be up to him in terms of how he how he develops physically
2: mm, well good stuff let's hope he does i want to turn now to the two ollies because i'm going to ask ollie harbord to talk about ollie giroux see what i've done there you see there's a lot of thought and planning goes into bravo i know ollie ollie, ollie harbord uh, not ollie giroux is very pleased with that i think um so, oh, hang on, I've no, got no, sorry, breaking news. D- Dean Mears, uh who, who I love to pieces. Dean, it's about time we had a beer before a match, mate. By the way, uh, anyway, uh, he says Ethan Ampadu Appreciation Society is up to four members on Twitter. <laughs> there we go. I think he's, I think he's having a joke. But there we go. Um, Ollie, uh, I kind of uh, entitled this as Olive- Olivier Giroud better than Desat. Gosh, shall I, shall I start that again? Should we do a take yes. two? I <laughs> yes. Take two. Get, get, get Take get my two. flaming teeth in tonight Olivier Giroud better than Zidane uh many may mock me for saying that but of course the reality is that uh the superb goal he scored against Holland uh for France uh by the way mugging off completely uh, that idiot Van Dyke from Liverpool uh apparently the best defender in the world has now made him uh, he's now got more goals for France than uh, than Zinedine Zidane he's now got 32 Oli um I think the main thing, though, really is, is, you know, look, you know, it's fantastic that he's broken his drought. I mean, you know, he's been, uh, you know, having the same problem with France as he has with us to a certain degree. Um, But what a goal starting up and what a superb goal, period.
1: Well, I think... (laughs) if you look back over his career as well at Arsenal and and if you look at the FA Cup semi-final last year as well, he, he seems to only score good goals aren't the absolute belters, the sort of yeah. scorpion kick and, and that brilliant goal he scored against Southampton as well where he took on about four people before slotting at home. Yeah, you know, he, he does have that in his locker which makes the times when he misses the slightly easier chances that a little bit more frustrating as well. I think what the beauty of, of you see of Giroud though is just, you know, he didn't score in the World Cup obviously and, and there was a lot, some pressure on him from outside but Deschamps never looked like dropping him, really. You know, he always he was always his man to go to in the big games and in, in all throughout the competition. I think he was injured for the first game, wasn't he? So that's why he didn't start that one. But apart from that, he played all the other World Cup games. He, so he was such a crucial man for, for Deschamps. And, you know, there's there's a really, really good argument for being why, why he shouldn't be starting for Chelsea right now. I think going into the Cardiff game especially, I would start him because I think if you look at the way Cardiff set up, they're obviously going to drop deep. I think it'll be something similar to what Newcastle did uh, a couple of weeks ago. And I think that, you know, even Sarri said it himself, Morata's better when he's got more space and and he's not going to have that against Cardiff. He's going to get hounded out all the time. So I think Giroud might be the perfect man to have in that starting starting 11. You know, really put himself about, get the crowd up as well, because that's something he's very, very good at as well. I think if you saw the reception he had when he came on against Bournemouth, you know, he's, the Stamford Bridge crowd have really taken to him well. And uh, he's got that presence about him. I think with the Cardiff game, especially, he should be starting in that in that eleven and bringing the likes of uh, Hazard and you know Pedro, Willian, whoever he starts on the right into play as well.
2: Mm. Of course, the most important thing about Olivier Giroud is a, is that he has, in fact, got a World Cup winning beard. And <clears> uh, on that note, uh, we're going to talk more about Oli Giroud later. Um, you know, our Oli, Ollie, Ollie Harbord uh, teased that quite nicely because there'll be more chat about Morata and Giroud later uh, and in fact it'll be coming up very soon because we're going to have a half term report that's the half term uh jk not half time report on the chelsea players uh, we're going to be asking who needs to concentrate in class stop mucking about and who in fact is the teacher's pet and well and uh, this is actually i should i should really let you know largely so ollie harbord doesn't sue me uh, but i've nicked this entirely from ollie's fantastic uh piece in the uh, in football london you should read this stuff you know ollie writes very well he doesn't need me to tell him that but i think it's 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 the quantity of stuff he puts out there and it's always worth a look so check i tell you what i've got ollie i've got that app that football uh, london oh, yeah. do yeah, yeah. yeah and i've I got i've got to be honest it's i found it invaluable uh, for just checking up what's going on because i just don't have the time to keep abreast of everything it's really good so go go and download the football.london app uh, delete the Spurs and the Arsenal bits off it and set it to <laughs> yeah, Chelsea. definitely. Yes. Definitely do that, Yeah, <laughs> Absolutely. Set the, set the controls for the heart of the sun. That's my little homage to Tony Glover. Uh, now, well, apart from all of that, we're going to be looking ahead to uh, Chelsea in the Caribou and the Europa, Europa Cups because they're coming up week after next. And, of course, before that, there's Saturday's match against Cardiff. So we'll be talking about that, and we'll be explaining why I said we hate Neil Warnock. I, I, it might be unfair of me to to uh, you know bring the guys into this, but I can't stand him, and I'll be explaining why after the break. The only place for Chelsea fans,
1: Footballfancast.com.
2: Real fans, real opinions.
1: I'm Jason Cundy, and you're listening to Chidge and the Boys on the Chelsea Football Fancast. Total nutters and proper Chels.
2: Right, welcome back. I'm Stan for Chidge, and this is the Chelsea Fancast. Goodness gracious me, breaking news. Uh, we've got Tony Glover in the house, just as I mentioned him. Uh, He says, listening only tonight, his work is huge this week. Well, Tony, of course, has been lost in France for the last, it seems like, six months. Um, Hopefully, I will be seeing him this Friday at my little soiree in Westminster. But I just hope he tuned in early enough to hear me say that talking about Chelsea and Football London set the controls to the heart of the sun. Because I know he's a big pink Floyd fan, But anyway, there you go. Right, uh, quick uh, plug for our own website, which, of course, is ChelseaFanCast.com, marshaled by the absolutely wonderful Keon Carbis. Like Ethan Ampadu, he is Welsh and also young. So there we go. They have two things in common. Uh, But he does a fantastic job on there, so do check it out. loads of uh, great writers in there, some of whom are in the... uh, some of them are in the house tonight, Dean, me- Dean Mears and Vinda Blue, I can see for starters, So there you go. Right now, uh, talking of writing and stuff, Ollie, uh, no doubt because like like uh, me- well, actually, I failed Ollie miserably this week. I didn't man- manage to churn out an article last week, but uh, it's difficult with international break time when you when you're you know supposed to be writing articles about Chelsea. Ollie did a fine job, but one of them he did really caught my eye, and I thought would be a little bit of fun tonight, um, which is really to kind of do a half term report for the players. And Ollie did this in the form of ratings. And I'm going to go through these and I'm going to see, see what the boys say. So uh, this could take all night, but I'm hoping it won't. Anyway, Before you start, Chidge, um, can I just, just yes. lay out
1: apologies if I upset anyone <laughs> with the ratings. But also the, the base starts at five. So anything obviously good is, is above that and, and below is... He's obviously poor, but um yeah, with yeah. the first one you'll probably see why I've given him a five because I don't really well, know I, I, how I, to rate I, yeah. him
2: at the moment. I, I haven't kipper. stitched you up like a kipper totally because I <laughs> I've kind of I've I've paraphrased what you said as well so that we give yeah. it some context. I'll be honest with you, Ollie. I, I broadly agree with most of it to be fair. So uh I thought you did a good job. Now Oli's Ollie's rated Kepa um Five. And uh, this is really on the basis that he's... I tell you what, boys, I'm going to go through the list first and then we can talk about it. Otherwise, we will genuinely be here all night. Anyway, Kepa got five uh, on the basis that he hasn't really had much to do and he's had a couple of errors, of course, a couple of goals maybe he could have done better with. Aspilaqueta, he gets seven. Uh, Of course, as always, what you'd expect from Aspi, he's been consistent uh, but uh, perhaps needs to improve his crossing. Alonso gets nine. Woo-woo! Uh, he's been outstanding uh, as we all know he's got one goal two assists uh, plus he's winning penalties for us of course there remain question marks about his defending but on the whole I think he's been our player of the season so far Uh, Rudiger gets seven Uh, he's solid in more ways than one obviously and he's proven to be quite dangerous at corners Luis gets a four lack of pace uh, poor decisions although of course you know as Jonathan and I would always do to stick up for Luis, his range of passing is quite superb Jorginho gets an eight. He is the pass master of Chelsea and Sarri. He sets the tempo, although one could argue he's a bit of a poor tackler. Kovacic gets seven. So far he's been neat and tidy, and I like I like the look of what I've seen so far. Kante gets eight, uh, which I think is a good mark for Kante. I think uh, maybe a bit generous, really, if I'm being honest. <laughs> uh, I think I think the reality is he's adapting out of position. Although one could ask, you know, does he need to show a bit more creativity? But We've had questions on the show for the last few few weeks about, you know, is he is it right to play him there? And it's difficult with Jorginho being in the in the central role. Barclays had a few opportunities. He gets a six, uh, and he seems to have lost out to Kovacic after a bright start. Uh, Loftus cheek, uh, we're about to upset Joe here, I think. He gets a five. Uh, still can't really get a start. Uh, I think it does beg uh, beg questions about his future. Um, Pedro, nine. Wonderful. Again, superb so far for us this season. Three goals in four games. And I think it's clear that he suits Sari's style very, very well. Uh, William, he gets a six. Uh, behind Pedro and Hazard in the pecking order, I think, but still clearly quite useful. Hazard gets an eight. He seems to be hitting his stride. And I like the fact that he has much more freedom to create. Moses gets a four. I mean, we haven't really. I mean, he's been on the bench, but I don't think we've actually seen him play at all yet. But. Uh, I wonder if that means he's really surplus to requirements, given that he looks to be more of a, a winging a winger supplement rather than a a wing back supplement. Uh, Morata he gets five, no confidence at all. Clearly, I mean he scored one goal, but it's clear to me that he's still struggling to adapt to the Premier League. And Giroud, Oli Giroud gets a six. Um, probably fair really, because we haven't really seen enough of him. Uh, but the thing is, when he has been on, he's been a real handful for the defenders, and I think uh, very useful for Sarri to mix things, mix things up. And of course, the question remains with Giroud: should he start ahead of uh, Morata? But we'll talk about that more later. Joe, what do you think about all of that? Uh, not, not Jonathan, the actual uh, the
3: rating. <laughs> yeah, Jonathan I mean, gets I, minus I, four I Give you my thoughts signal. on intermittent internet. No, um, I mean I, I think largely the the ratings are quite fair. Um, I think I'm I'm with you. I think Kante is maybe a shade too high, maybe a few players a shade too low. Um, I, I, I think the standouts have been Alonso, uh, Hazard, and also I also think Rudiger probably is, has been kind of better than he was uh, under Conte last season. I think we're seeing a, a slightly more forceful personality, someone who is a lot more commanding than than he was last season. And I actually think the two at the back suits him a bit better than the three think he's actually a little bit more comfortable there as well. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I definitely agree with the, with the, the ratings on, on, on a whole. Um, in terms of sort of the some of the, the questions in there, I, I think in terms of Loftus-Cheek, if, if I was him, I'd be pushing for a move away from Chelsea. Um, there were a lot of rumours that he was particularly disappointed that he wasn't allowed to go on loan to, to Schalke. The club have kind of told him that, you know, stay until January, then we'll reassess your situation. But, you know, for him, a guy who's who's not even really played a full season of football... You know, it's, it's another half a season of not playing. And, you know, if, if he can't get a start on the back of, of what he's done, and I actually think the the last appearance he made, he actually showed, comparing him to, to Kovacic and Kante, that he's he's a lot more attack-minded. He's a lot more threatening with the ball in possession. He's a lot more, he's got a lot more go forward with the ball. I just find him a bit different to to Kante and Kovacic. I, I really like the pair of them. But I think against teams where you have some freedom to to not necessarily play you know, three of kind—not defensively minded players, but maybe some more tactically rigid players. You know, I think that that Loftus Cheek would actually add a little bit more go forward to the team. Something that Kante and Georginio uh, Kante and Kovacic maybe don't have. But if if I'm him, I, I would be looking to move. I mean, it's got to a question now. We've got to figure that you know all of these these pundits and and people outside of the club speak incredibly highly of him. It's just Chelsea who don't seem to rate him. So if if I was him, I would be looking to to move on permanently at some point from, from the club. It, it's, you know, he's, what's he 23 now, 22, 23, you know, he should be at a position where he can be playing regular, regular football and not deputizing for, for players or, or being a substitute. I think he's, he's got designs on becoming an England regular and he's not going to do that from the bench. So I would, if I was him, I would be looking to to move on in January or really as soon as the club would, would let him, I know that he's a pretty uh, significant asset at the club, but but the club only seems to rate him from a, a kind of you know an, an entry on a spreadsheet in in some of these financial calculations, not really as a player. So, you know, he should be pushing on for his career. And the only other one I want to mention is Morata. You know, I, I was definitely going to give him a, a chance this season, but I mean, really, I, I've not seen a huge um, improvement from last year. And I, I actually think giving him a five is quite uh, is quite generous from Oli there. I, I just I don't <laughs> think that I, I just look at him and 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 look at other other you know kind of teams around us and their kind of options at centre forward and. You know, even if Sherwood isn't being prolific, I think what he adds to the team in terms of just being a, a proper reference point, a proper centre forward, is actually more than what Morata does. You know, I, I think we've seen with Morata that unless he has the ability to run in behind teams, you know, when he's got to play with his back to go a bit more, when he's got to get involved in the link up play, that actually that's definitely not his strength. And we've seen that for over a year now. And I think we're seeing it again now. And now that we've got more of the ball, it's only going to become more and more of a question that the team's going to pose us is, is you're going to have to break us down. We're not going to give you the space to run in behind. So, you know, I'm not sure whether it's a, a question of not having the confidence. I just think that the the way that we're playing and I think the way that teams are setting up against us are not really going to be conducive to him, you know, being being the sort of 30, maybe 25, 30-goal season striker we need.
2: Hmm. I kind of broadly agree with that. I mean, the one, the one thing that I would uh, say... Uh, which actually Dean Mears makes a very good point on or on uh, Ollie, is that it's a bit harsh on Louise. I mean, he's played all four games. And we haven't actually lost yet.
1: Yeah, I, I, I do understand that that's probably a bit of a contentious one, but I just think it's, I just, you know, I'm not still not convinced at the heart of the defence that he's, he's the answer. I think, you know, his passing is very, very good. We know that. He, he does split defences open sometimes, even from the back of Chelsea, but... I just think with the the way that Sarri wants to play higher up, pressing that little bit more, I just think that, yeah, yeah I just think he's going to get found out. And I was watching the game back against Bournemouth as well, and and some of his sort of just absent-mindedness really of, of the mm. chances that Bournemouth had, the really good one where Ake sort of hit it over the bar from close range he just stood there and, and wasn't trying to close it down he didn't even try and maybe put his body in the way of it he just sort of stood there and watched it happen and the goal against hosselu uh, from hosselu as well against at Newcastle you know he just really on his heels and you know hosselu just wanted it more he was waiting for the ball to come he sort of dipped his head but didn't attack the ball at all and I think this is where the games are going to get win, won and lost against the bigger sides and I just think think that while his passing is fantastic and I think on the ball he is the perfect Sarri centre-back I still think defensively he's just going to keep getting found out this season especially against the better teams
2: OK fair enough I mean the other thing I would would pick up with you Joe, uh, Joe is is, is Loftus cheek and I mean look I know it's difficult uh, it really is because you know is it the manager you know thwarting him and not picking him or is it because he's just not showing enough and I mean I think that we need. I I, I think the sensible thing for Loftus Cheek is is to is to stick around until at least, uh, at least the January transfer window because I'm sure he's going to get some game time uh, with uh, with the Europa Cup and the Caribou Cup coming up. That's that's a no-brainer, um, and and hopefully he can do enough. He can do enough to convince Sarri because I. I, I I've get a, I've got a real sense that actually that's what's going on. He's not doing enough, really, to convince Sarri at the moment. And I've got to be honest with you, Joe, I, 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 unless something spectacular happens, I don't think that that's going to bode well for his long-term prospects at the club.
3: We had a similar situation with, with Conte, though, and Conte actually said sort of privately, and it was reported in quite a few articles, that Loftus-Cheek was one of the more impressive players or the, the most impressive player in training. So... I'm not sure really if, if it's a question of, of you know he's bought Jorginho and, and and he wants to to see what he's got there. I think Kovacic they're obviously trying to look to secure on a permanent deal and, and Kante is, is probably going to play by default as well. But I mean, it's again it's a question of I think whether the club wanna give him the, the same investment that they have other players. You know, they've they've developed him from eight years old to become an England international. Well he's he's kind of done it by himself by going to Palace, but they've invested that amount of time into him and yet. It's the same question I ask all the time is, you know, you, you go and buy the, the Danny Drinkwaters of this world and the and the Timo Bakayoko's and they will get, I think Bakayoko still has, has played two or three times a amount of football for Chelsea that Loftus-Cheek has. And and you can't, even if you're not a big fan of Loftus-Cheek, you can't tell me that the Bakayoko is, is that much more talented or that or that much more deserving of, a, of an opportunity. And, you know, he, he comes, he, he basically gets himself into the England uh, World Cup squad off the back of uh, a loan at Palace. Goes there and, and comes back to Chelsea, and you think you know this could be the the opportunities, or this this is the chance for him to have the opportunity. And it's the same thing. I mean, I, I definitely take Sari's comments about him needing to become more tactically aware, but you you don't become tactically aware sitting on the bench. You know, you you, you don't get uh, that level of, of of discipline and knowledge and, and awareness of where to be when you don't have possession by sitting there and watching someone else do it. So, I mean, uh, I just think for for him and his his own professional career. I mean, you see the. You know, he gets rave reviews from from Palace, from pundits the last season. You know, Rude Hullett is a massive fan of him. I think Michael Ballett picked him out. You know, there's some really, really good people with, with opinions that I respect. I think, you know, pretty considerably of him. You know, they, they obviously loved him at Palace, did well enough to get in the England squad. It just seems to be at Chelsea that, you know, that these these academy players are often treated like sort of second-class citizens in the squad. I think it's something we've seen for a while. Um, but I would, you know, again, if, if I'm him, I look at... I look at Jadon Sancho. I look at these other players that are going abroad or, or pushing for loan moves outside of the the bigger clubs, and, and that would be what I would I would recommend to him is to to look at look at his own career path. I mean, is he going to realistically play more than the the main three guys this season, even if he is playing fantastically when in training? Probably not. So, you know, he's he's got to start taking that that kind of decision with his own career in his own hands. You know, it's it's so all well and good wanting to be a Chelsea player, but I think we've seen in his. Three. What's this? This is his fourth season here. That he's he's barely played. I think thirteen hundred minutes for the club, which is ridiculous. But you know, it's it's something that he's going to have to consider going forward.
2: Well, it's it's not ridiculous if he's not showing enough, uh, you know, in training, and and that Sarri doesn't rate him. I mean, that's the that is the harsh reality. You know, if you want to get in, you've got to be good enough. I think you know what's more alarming. I mean, I take your point about the Bakayoko acquisition, but uh, I think. I would be more worried if I was Loftus Cheek that they bought Barkley.
3: Uh, definitely, yeah. I mean, uh, again, it's 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 a slightly it's a head scratching thing for me. I think that that Loftus Cheek probably did more in in a half of football in pre season than, than Barkley did in in every single game. If we're talking about what what players do with the ball, it's just it's the same question. You've got you know Barkley is a is a player who who works hard and therefore I think he's he's going to or or tangibly. Tangibly or notably, is, is, is it puts in the effort that, that maybe Cyrus looking for. But, you know, it, it's going to be the, the, the same question. I, I do think if Chelsea let him go, that they will regret it. You know, this is, uh, I said, this is a guy who's he's not even played a season of uh, first-team football yet for for various reasons uh, to do with Chelsea and obviously in terms of injuries he had last season. And I don't necessarily agree with the fact that he's he's not doing enough in training. It's, it seems to be something that, as I said, if, if Conte has come out and suggested that he didn't feel like he could play him because he was an academy player and, you know, he, there's such a pressure to win games. Despite him being one of the best players in training, I, I don't see him automatically going to being a bad player. The way William talks about him, the way Eden Hazard has spoken about him, I would suggest that they see him in training, they see what kind of player he is, and they're very, very positive about him. I think William was even suggesting last season that they were a bit crazy to let him go on loan. So, no, I think it's a, it's a question of, yeah, okay, if, if sorry doesn't rate him, but clearly his teammates do, clearly a lot of people in football do, people outside of Chelsea do, so... If it's a question of sorry not rating him and wanting to pick players like uh, like Barkley ahead of him, then then he he has to evaluate his, his position at the club. You know, it's it's a question of of him you know wanting to wanting to play more. Then he's going to have to do it away from Chelsea, and that's just going to have to be something that he's going to have to to take into consideration this season. I think.
2: Hmm, very well, you know, we shall see. Him. We'll talk more about that when we talk about the Caribbean and the Europa, which is where I do think he may well feature. Um, there are some notable absentees from from your list, Oli, and. Uh, I'm about to, to do a, a piece on this this week, actually. But, uh, you know, Chelsea's forgotten men, in a sense, um, which is fascinating reading. I mean, Cahill, uh, you know, uh, obviously we've got Ant- Antonio Rudiger and David Louise who are the preferred starting centre-backs at the moment. Um, you know, we've also got Ethan Ampadu and Andreas Christensen waiting in the wings. Um, so, you know... <laughs> It doesn't really bode too well for for Cahill, and he's he's 32 years old now, and he didn't even travel in the matchday squad at Newcastle. Uh, he's supposed to be the club captain, from what I understand, but uh, I I fear for the future of Cahill, Ollie.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think about the club captaincy. I think you'll you'll find, you know, Sari did say that this week would be his final sort of decision time to to actually make that decision. I think from what we've seen so far. It's looking like it's going to go to Cesar Aspasloqueta, which you know will be a popular choice amongst several fans and probably the right direction because we know that Aspasloqueta is going to play almost every Premier League game, if not many of the other games as well. So, you know, I do, I do feel for Cahill. His time at Chelsea seems to be coming to an end. I, I you know, I have a similar concern. With him that I do with Louise, I just think with that's the style of play that Surrey wants to play. That bit more high up the pitch, especially on the ball as well. Cahill has been a brilliant defender in a lot of ways, but being on the ball and playing those passes is maybe not his strength. And I don't see him being a, a Surrey centre back for the future. Um, you know, I think he's. I think he's still got a lot to give in the Premier League. Uh, you know, I think there would be a lot of clubs that would be willing to to snap him up, especially teams coming up next year in the Championship and all, all those sort of teams, but I just can't see where he's going to fight into that Premier League team. Uh You know, he might get his chance in the Europa League, but for him while he's at this age, 32, as you say, he wants to be playing still more regularly you know, just like John Terry wanted to when he was that age. He wants to be playing as well, Gary Cahill, and I just don't see it being a mm. mm.
2: Well, I mean, the other one, of course, that we haven't seen anything from at all, really, is, uh, is Drinkwater, and you know, he's now 20, he's 28 years old, uh, he's been linked with a move back to to Leicester, according to you, or or, or Southampton. Um, I really don't see any potential game time with him, particularly if Fabregas is getting fit, you know, back to fitness. Um, and of course, the third one, Emerson. I mean, you know, Emerson. I think compared to those two, has got more chance of being a backup. But of course, you know, whilst Alonso's, you know, playing out of his skin, he's not going to get much of a look in either, is he?
1: No, I think the thing with Drinkwater, I mean, we talk about surprise signings. I think for that one was just bizarre. I just didn't understand it at all, really. Um, and, you know, you could say with Barkley that, you know, at least he is young. He's still, you know, got a lot of years left on him and there was still the potential there. But with Drinkwater, it just always felt like they were buying a, a backup player. And this year, you know, he's not even in the Europa League squad. So where is he realistically going to play? Is he going to play in the Carabao Cup? Well, I'm not even sure he would do really I think there's still people above him to be playing in those roles um, and with Emerson you know it's a really difficult one because I thought with in the pre-season I actually I actually thought he was a lot better than Alonso you know I thought this might be the chance that Emerson got this season you know he looked really good in that left-back role he was getting up and down he looked good defensively as well but you know he's never going to get into the Premier League side when Alonso is playing like he is at the moment. So, you know, I expect to see Emerson playing in the Carabao Cup and the Europa League. But apart from that, he's going to have to wait for Alonso to either get injured, suspended, or or really drop in form.
2: Well, you know, good segue that, Ollie, because that's what I want to talk about next. And the interesting thing is, is that Marco, good old Mark Worrell, uh, he put up a, a potential team for the for the Carabao Cup. Um, no, Marco, he's put a bet on it as well. But his his side for the. Uh, Carabao Cup, which I think is basically, uh, you know, predicated on on what my thoughts are. I mean, Joe might fill us in on this in a minute, but Sarri does have a a habit of trying to pick the same side every week, uh, certainly in the league, and I think he's less likely to be able to do that this season with the Europa and the Carabao Cups. We'll talk a little bit in a minute about what Sarri's thoughts and what he might do on that. Uh, but first, let's let's give us Marco's side, which is based on the fact that he's going to like not choose pretty much anybody in the first team. So that would be Caballero in goal, Zappacosta, Christensen or Ampadu, Cahill, Emerson, Ampadu or Fabregas in the defensive midfield role, Barkley, Loftus-Cheek, William, Giroud and hudson adoy um, My thoughts on that, Joe, is that actually that's not a bad team. <laughs> you know, you we know, see a previous, lot of other yeah. clubs. That, well, yeah, if you see a lot of other clubs putting second string teams out, you know, you think, bloody hell, that is not a bad team, mate.
3: What's that? There's what six, six, seven internationals in there. I mean, it's uh, it's yeah. not particularly bad. But I mean, I think the the interesting thing with with Saru will be his approach, really. To, to I suppose the Europa League in general, but also cup games, because in in Napoli he was fairly kind of renowned for not taking it too seriously. I think he was very much focused on the on the league and and, and trying to sort of do as well as possible in there. So I think actually what Marco is is suggesting in terms of a Pretty heavily rotated side, if not an entire change of, of, of side in general, is is probably kind of fairly fairly accurate in terms of, of potential um, lineups. I mean, I think again, you know, it's a it's a pretty it's a pretty solid team. I mean, it's it's got two two sort of international centre halves, two international fullbacks, what's that? Three international midfielders, and and everyone but Hudson although so pretty much the entire team is is internationals. Um, looks pretty well balanced. I mean, again, you, I suppose the positive will be. Getting to see uh, you know Hudson theoi and Ampadu get sort of outs in in the side as well. I think maybe depending on on the situation going forward, but Giroud could sneak into into that kind of first team discussion, and maybe Morata gets put in the Europa Cup for his confidence potentially. But I think it's a a pretty good team, fairly spot on. The only thing I would be concerned about is I'm not a and uh, I know uh, something that a few other people feel as well. I'm not a huge uh, Caballero fan in, in, unless it's on penalties. I'm not sure if he's, if he's the best number two that we've had. So I would be a little bit concerned about that if we're taking it a bit sort of semi seriously. But I think overall it's a pretty decent team with a lot of uh, quite interesting combinations and pretty decent options as well.
1: Well, on that, can I just say, you know, because Rob Green's obviously not in the squad as well, the Europa League squad. So that does open up a spot potentially for Martin Bolker. So I do wonder as well whether he might give Bolker a bit of a go. You know, obviously he, he was quite good in in preseason, and you know another youth player coming through. So whether that's an option he goes for instead of Caballero, but you know obviously being the number two goalkeeper, you'd expect Caballero to be playing, but you never know he might go a bit, a little bit left wing and and go for um go for Bolker instead.
2: True enough. But I mean, you know, much as we diss Willie Caballero, he is bloody good at uh, stopping penalties and inevitably we end up <laughs> he is, yeah. we end up having to take quite a few in the Caribou Cup. So maybe that's not such a bad idea after all. I think the reality is, I mean, you know, it'll be really interesting to see if, if in fact, you know, Sarri does pick this side and he does kind of like have a dirt trackers team for the uh, the, the Cups. Um, it's going to be really interesting. I mean, my, my feeling is he is going to bin these off and he is going to play the youth, or well, I say play the youth, he's going to play a B team um, for both of them. I mean, listen, boys, I mean, how important do you think it is uh, to, to, you know, do what we normally do, which is to play a fairly strong side, actually, in, in, in recent history and try and win these things and, in fact, we do win them? Or do you think it's much more important that he concentrates on the league and also uses uh, these competitions to give some of the, you know squad members a game to see if they can actually push for a first team place joe
3: i mean actually look, looking at marco's team there's what there's one two three, there's four academy players in there i mean given the the standard of opposition I mean, it's not like it's a champions league group i mean i think some of the one of the teams in you know in our group i don't think i can actually pronounce the name properly yet so you know i think that there is a huge opportunity to play some of these these younger players in in what are going to be meaningful games and I think whether Sorry takes the competition seriously or not, I, I personally would really like to. Um, I know that the the last time we won it, it was a, you know it was an incredible kind of uh, final, and it was a really really good competition. In when we were there, um, be interesting to see. I suppose if we get out of the group, kind of whether we start taking it a little bit more seriously with team selections. But yeah, I mean, I think that this this approach is fine. I mean, again, you're looking at maybe four of the better academy players that we have at the moment. I don't think you'll see a huge drop in. In, in kind of ability or, or them freezing or, or not looking um, as if they kind of deserve to be there. So, yeah, I mean, it could be a really good option. I think, as you say, you know, people like Hudson-Odoi, who probably the one I'm worried about at the moment considering his contract situation, I think that he needs to start getting a little bit more involved in the first team to see whether he, he feels that he's going to have a, a kind of pathway to first in football here. So he's the one that I'd be really keen to see play as much as possible, um, both in, in the Carabao and also in the in the Europa, uh, Europa League as well.
2: I think it's going to be really interesting because, I mean, you know, knowing Chelsea supporters as I do, uh, we like to win trophies. We yes. really do. And I, I think we've kind of prided ourselves in the last few years, the fact that out of the big clubs, we, we tend to be the one that takes them most seriously. We also like a bit of a jaunt across Europe. I wonder if if we'll be a bit disgruntled if, if Sarri treats it with the disrespect that a lot of overseas managers have, even though I can see the benefits of you know, giving game time to some of these fringe players to see if they are good enough. I mean, Ollie, I mean, how, how do you think that would pan out? I mean, would you think, do you think maybe for one year we might let him off the hook here?
1: Well, I think while he's still, you know, in his first year, I think maybe he might get let off the hook. But you've got to remember as well that Sarri hasn't won anything himself. So for him, well, you know, yeah. winning, winning a trophy is a big thing as well. You know, he doesn't want to be labelled as a sort of a new Pochettino, really, does he, with with all these sort of great, great sides, great football, but they're not actually winning anything. So I think for him, it's, it's going to be quite important. He wants to prove himself that he can win trophies as well as just playing attractive football. But I think, you know, mm. a lot of the time, you know, if you look at last year, if you look at Arsenal, the way they dealt with it last year, you know, they got to the semi-final as well and they, they went all the way through playing, you know, a lot of use, you know, Ree- Reece Nelson played a lot in that competition and he really shined in it. And also, the one thing it did do was give Jack Wilshere another chance to, to play regular football and it actually worked his way back into the Premier League team. So, you know, you sort of say about playing the fringe players, but they've all got a point to prove. They all want to be in the side. And if, if Loftus-Cheeks plays, if if Barkley plays, these guys really want to be performing at this level to show that they should be playing in the Premier League as well. So, you know, playing the fringe players sometimes isn't such a bad thing, especially on a Thursday night when some of the first team might be thinking about the Sunday game and maybe giving it, you know, not quite the full effort that they should be. So I actually think, in, in especially in the Europa League, it's not a bad thing to be playing the fringe players. I think... You know, getting Liverpool in the Cup is maybe not the greatest because Sarri will obviously be wanting to play a few stronger stronger players maybe than he would have wanted to in that early stage of a competition. But, you know, I think that he has to he's going to want to give it a go because he wants to win a trophy as much as anyone else does. And he did say in a press conference that he is wanting to win the Europa League. You know, of course, he's going to say that. I don't think he's going to go in and say that he's going to just uh, bomb it from from round one. But, you know, I think that he wants to win it as much as anyone. Well, if that's the
2: case, Ollie, um, d- does that mean that maybe he's he is going to play more, more of a mixture of the first and the second team rather than dump the first team and put the second team
1: in? Well, I mean, saying that, I mean, you know, obviously the league is the priority, definitely is getting in the Champions League these days is is almost the priority for, for a lot of that sort of top six, seven sides. You know, they need to try and do that. So I wouldn't say that He's going to play, if he does play any of the first team, it's not going to be a great amount. I think that actually that team you read out earlier, I think is a very, very balanced team of potential first teamers as well. And so I, if I saw that team on a team sheet against paaco Co or Batborosov or Vol Middy, I think I'd be pretty happy that they'd get through the group. So, you know, I think I would trust that trust that team that uh, Mark put out and and go from go from there really and see what happens when it gets more into the sort of latter stages of the competition should we get there.
2: Mm. Well, of course, all will be revealed, uh, and we've got uh, uh, the weirdly named, or as Jonathan actually brilliantly pronounced the other week, Patock. Uh, <laughs> next, uh, uh, hang on, it's a week on. It's a week on Thursday, isn't it? A week on Thursday. Uh, yeah, and then we've got uh, Liverpool in the uh, Caribou Cup, uh, and cut two weeks on Wednesday, if I've got my head round all of that. So more will be revealed then. I mean, the interesting thing is that Chelsea have come out with a statement today about uh, the dangers of Chelsea supporters. There will be, we've got 1,450 uh, tickets for this game in Pauk, which is in Thessaloniki in Greece. And they have put a statement out saying that, um, you know, basically, don't go. It's all a bit dangerous. And uh, the uh, Greek and New- Greek authorities in UEFA are providing buses that sound like they're going to be miles away from the stadium. It's going to take ages to get in, so you'll be on there for a long time with no refreshments or toilet facilities. And secondly, don't wear Chelsea tops at the airport or around the town or outside the stadium. Um, and uh, and it all sounds pretty crap to me. Um, I mean, Ollie, you know, you and I, have, you know, take an interest in what goes on abroad, me, me with my trust hat on and you as a journalist. I have to say, surely UEFA are unbelievably deficient here if they can't necessarily guarantee the safety of Chelsea supporters going abroad. I think that's outrageous
1: yeah it's not it's not great, and as I'm going out there myself, I'm now a little bit worried, but <laughs> thanks very much for that um but yeah I, I, it is a real concern. I think that we've seen it over the last well i don't know how many years about supporters and, and you know away fans and and going to these places even you know Barcelona last year you know we saw that there were trouble there's there's real issues there that still need to be sorted out and whether you're ready for doing the most amount that they should be doing about it I'm still not 100% sure I have to say and and to be saying things like that is it's not great when we know that Chelsea fans just want to go out there and, and really enjoy the game as well and and see what it's like but yeah it's it's, it's it is a worry I have to say
2: Well, and apparently the only way that you can get to the ground if you're a Chelsea supporter is on these coaches that are being provided. They're saying, don't go under your own steam, which uh, I think is a tad unrealistic. It's something that clearly the Trust will need to have a look at, uh, and I I feel a statement coming on. But, you know, actually one of the new motions that uh, was voted on, and passed actually, I'm delighted to say, was uh, more of a, you know, dialogue with the supporters about... Uh, safety of the supporters when they're going when they're traveling away in Europe and we had some appalling incidences uh, recently at Madrid and of course in Barcelona last year uh, and we don't want any repeats of that but you know sure and the other thing that really annoys me apart from the lack of dialogue with the supporters is the fact that um, our own you know the club and our own police that are out there we have people from the met there all they can do is observe that they can't do anything because it's not their jurisdiction and that just seems batshit insane to me, but anyway if we, if I don't stop now, we'll spend the next hour just talking about this, which would be fun, but perhaps not so much fun I'm delighted to say that we may well have Jonathan Kidd back in the house
0: I appear to be I hope it is you me are.
2: it is, um, or it's a, had... it's, a very good, it's a very good imitation of him
0: no, I think he's slightly more nerdy than uh, Jonathan Kidd is, actually but um, I quite like this voice, so I might carry on with it for a few moments um, you
2: sound like a footballer from the sixties. Come, come, to, to, come to be a guest on the show.
0: What was that bloke Steve uh, on the on the fan, on the um, Friday show at Love Sport? He bloke was like that, mm. wasn't he? He was like that. He, said, uh, he was a steam, wasn't he? He was. was. Anyway, yes, I appear to be back. Um, yeah, yeah. The uh, the the uh, we had to find the router which was hidden in the underlined boxes and then restart it. So, um, here we are. Anyway.
2: Well, fingers crossed, yeah. eh? Fingers what, crossed. What, what, what have I missed? Well, don't worry, because we're going to go on to Cardiff, and this is where I need you, so I'm glad you're back. Um, right, oh. Cardiff, 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 coming up on uh, Saturday. Can't wait. Football is back now. A little bit of an update on a bit of a history lesson from yours truly. Uh, the last time we lost to Cardiff in the league was, in, was in fact, League Division 2, when we were the boys in blue in Division 2. Uh, And it was a 1-0 defeat at home at Stamford Bridge in April 1981. This is the team from that day. It was Petter Barotta, Gary Locke, Gary Chivers, Mickey Droy, Colin Lee, Dennis Rofe. Bloody hell. Johnny Bumstead, Mick Fillery, Peter Rhodes-Brown, Clive Walker, and of course the wonderful Phil Driver on the wing. Do you remember that match, Jonathan?
0: I was there, Judge.
2: I thought you would have been.
0: I was. I have no memory of it, but I definitely remember being there. Um, as is so often in these cases, I remember the matches, the defeats, and uh, have somehow erased it from my memory, probably because it was a defeat. Um, but uh, um, uh, a remiss of me, I should have looked, found the programme and looked it up, because it's, it's always the case if I've ever got the programme. But I, I went to all the games that season anyway. So, uh, um, mm. But yeah, Phil Driver was an interesting player. He sort of he, he never quite got it together. Um, you thought he was going to be magnificent, provided some great centers, but, but never seemed to beat the player very often, which is slightly disastrous for a winger. Um, mm. uh, and Peter Rhodes Brown, similarly, was uh, a bit off and on. He a great goal against Liverpool, of course, but then failed to repeat it. And Dennis Rowe come from Orient and uh, was actually a much better player than everybody else. But never seen. But was either injured or just didn't quite fit. And uh, we, of course, we had the great Colin Lee, who suddenly decided he wanted to play centre half, which I never quite understood because he was rather good at playing centre forward. He scored all those goals against Newcastle. And of course, the ever-present, uh, the ever, the the motorised Johnny Bumpstead, who just never stopped running. Um, the man mountain of Mickey Droy, the slightly dubious Gary Chivers, the ever trying Gary Locke, and the crazy Peter Barota, who was as good as Caballero, I think was the comparison that um, Clayton he made was, the he other day. was a, day. For, a forerunner, a,
3: wasn't he? He was he, was, he was.
0: He would yes. run out of the goal and miss the ball completely, and the ball would then just go into penalty, and they got opposition would score. But the actual game itself, I think I should have looked it up and. Uh, Got the next program, well, but my programs are I... all in storage.
2: Oh God! Well, You're as are as our mind, as are mine, as are mine. We've got a got a message from uh, I saw Alan May's score, which is highly appropriate actually, because uh, in fact the last time we lost to Cardiff was uh, was in the League Cup in 1986, and I, I seem to remember actually around this time I think 81, we 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 did beat them at home. No, we obviously lost at home, didn't we? But we beat them away. Uh, and Alan May scored twice. And I'm wondering if that's when I saw Alan May score, saw Alan May score. Maybe he can let us know. Um, more recently, we haven't played Cod uh, very much at all, really, in recent times, because basically, as they would say there, they are shit. Anyway, um, <laughs> the most recent match at home, uh, we won 4-1 in October 2013. I seem to recall Hazard scored, scoring a brace there. Um, so there we go. I'm, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing. I saw Alan May scores uh, repost to see if in fact it actually was where he saw him score. But we'll, we shall see that in a minute. Now, uh, the, the other thing I wanted to talk about about Cardiff was uh, really my absolute loathing for Neil Warnock, whose name is, uh, as as uh, as they used to. Tim Rolls is very fond of this on Twitter, isn't he, Jonathan? Uh, yes. Using the Molesworth sobriquet, as any fool know. Yes. Uh, Well, as any fool know, uh, Colin Wanker is his real name. Neil Warnock is just an anagram of Colin Wanker, which he chooses because it's more polite. Um, But there are many reasons why I can't stand Neil Warnock. Uh, The first of which, of course, is he looks like Dobby from Harry Potter. Uh, I think the thing that I find equally offensive... I mean, basically, I find most of what he says coming out of his mouth offensive. But the thing that really grinds my gears is his wonderful Yorkshire way of saying, well... You know, as far as me, you know, it's all about me, you know. He, he he throws me in. If it were me, you know, me, 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 all the time. Shut up, you mug. Anyway, I think the, the, the more serious thing about uh, Neil Warnock, which we will get into in a minute, no doubt, is the fact that he doesn't half encourage thuggery on the pitch. And he says it openly in the press interviews afterwards, which I think is appalling. Now, for you young'uns out there, and for you uh, overseas mob who might not know this, uh Jonathan and I will of course remember this with fear and a shiver going down our spine. But in nineteen ninety-one, Uncle Ken Bates, also known as Captain Birdseye, he offered Neil Warnock the Chelsea manager's job. And he was uh, at Warnock Nott's had just at the basically yeah. That's yeah. right. He'd just yeah. well i think he'd won back to back promotions with Notts County and uh and they got him into the first division. Uh, and bloody Bates offered him the job. Uh, and anyway, thankfully, Neil Warnock said uh, no, he wanted to stay put. Um, and, and apparently, he has no regrets about this. So there we go. Um, am I being unfair on Neil Warnock, uh, Jonathan, or am I right in my uh, indignation about the man's presence on the planet?
0: You, you have to give him something, Chich, that he keeps going. Well, I'd love to he?
2: give him something, mate. Yeah. Smack <laughs> in the face, probably.
0: But he keeps going, doesn't he? he keeps he, he hasn't faded away like uh, uh some managers who uh, only appeared to have one way of playing which was hoofing the ball up the pitch and uh, uh, and kicking people um so uh, he must have other ways of uh, he must have some tactical nous and he must have some ability but he is um, he's not a great uh, interviewee because he's uh, he's angry he's a very angry man isn't he yeah, i mean the, the problem was was that we 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 replaced him uh, with Porterfield, the Porterfield got the job, which yeah. wasn't one of the yeah. greatest uh, seasons that we had in that period. Well, we- um, Webby
2: Webby came in to rescue the season, didn't he? I think at he the did. End of it, he uh, did because Porterfield was going to take us down. I think
0: he, he was. He was. We weren't playing very well, um, but uh, yeah, no. So I, 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 I he, he has an ability to um, to uh, seek weaknesses um, uh, in a confrontational style, doesn't he? That's the way he does it. And he must he must be competent because he's brought Cardiff up um, and they weren't doing very well. And he must be competent because he keeps being employed. He he did well with Rangers for a period. Um, I think what he's good at is bringing teams up and then they they flounder. So he gets sacked. But he's got that ability to deal well in the championship. So uh, but he, he has given some horrendous interviews and made some terrible statements.
2: Well, so, uh, as far as yeah. I'm concerned, Jonathan, me, me, I don't like Neil Warnock, me, I don't. Uh, I mean, have, Ollie, have you got any thoughts on, I mean, you might have actually been in a press room with him, am I, am I right in being so horrible about him, or, or what? I, I sh- Maybe you can't say. I'm trying to think, actually, <laughs> I
1: don't, yeah, I probably shouldn't be too, I mean, as sort of JK alluded to there, he does have this unbelievable ability to get teams up, you know, I think he said to himself that he's he's much more comfortable in the Championship and and down that level, where, the, where maybe the egos aren't quite so high, the paychecks aren't quite so high, and he can deal with, as he would call it, I think more real players, I think is what a phrase that he might have used before. Look, I mean, as far as style of play goes, it's not pretty to watch. It's very effective for what he does generally, as especially as we've seen in the Championship with Carl. But if, uh, you know, he's not my favourite manager, I have to say. <laughs> That's probably being as as mean as I'm allowed to be, just in case I do bump into him on Saturday and and he somehow hears it and uh, smacks me one. Um, So, but yeah, let's just say he's not my favourite manager to be be watching. Mm.
2: All right, enough about Neil Warner. I'm going to spare Joe any embarrassment there. I just know that Joe agrees with me. Um, Listen, Cardiff have uh, lost two and drawn two so far and they conceded five and scored two. Um, You know, they're most uh, people's favourites to... uh, to go down this season. I think my biggest fear, Joe, really, is that, that um, like Rafa did up at Newcastle, I can absolutely see Warnock doing this, is to send his thugs out to cripple hazard. Uh, do you think, A, do you think that's going to happen, and B, what can we do about it?
3: Yeah, I mean, I remember, uh, was it last, it might have been last season, I think Guardiola, we all kind of poked a bit of fun at him, having a bit of a uh, a got Warnock and Cardiff, uh, I think they injured Leroy Sané, before the, before the first half had even finished, and they were just sort of flying into challenges like it was a a game in kind of a park. Um, but I think the more you kind of you look at the, the way they play, I mean, there's there's definitely an element of being physical in the Premier League. You know, they don't have the ability or resources to go and buy Eden Hazard's and other players who are wonderfully wonderfully talented. So there is a, an alternative way of playing. I just question whether the the tactics and, and particularly some of the the challenges this season and, and from a couple of games I watched last season really. Bordering, uh, you know, kind of a sort level challenges. Particularly, I, I do remember that Sane tackle, but I think it was Bennett who plays for for Cardiff it was an absolute disgraceful t- tackle, which I think took uh, Sane out for a couple of weeks, if not uh, maybe a month or six weeks. So, you know, it's slightly unnecessary. I mean, I think in in terms of how we we deal with it, you know, hazard is is a slightly different breed. You know, in an era where you've got players like Neymar who are wonderfully gifted, but you know, he opts for sort of the ten forward roles, and then you know, triple pike summer sort to finish to kind of any time he gets challenged, whereas Hazard, I think to maybe his detriment at times, tries to ride the challenges and, and sort of, you know, he, he takes sort of getting kicked almost as a compliment. So I think again we'll see a very typical a very typical in Hazard display. The one thing that I would have to see, and I know this is something that Jonathan um will will kind of constantly say here and it's something I definitely agree with, is that I think when you have when you have players of of Hazard's talent and, and Agueros and these sorts of really kind of special players that referees have to realise that teams now target them in a very systematic way. It's, you know, yeah. the right-back makes a foul, then the left-back, then the midfield, and, and every single time they're going to go to the referee, it's my first tackle. You know, um, if if referees were strong when they realised that teams were systematically targeting, I mean, Hazard got fouled, what, four times in the first 20 minutes against Newcastle? It was ridiculous. If if the referee stops it and books someone on the third tackle, then that, that stamps that element out of the game, and, and it, it definitely... Means that you know Hazard is is less likely to get sort of uh, poleaxed by players like I can't remember who the right back for, for for Newcastle was last time, but you know he sort of stamped on his ankle and then tried to sort of kick him literally into the stands in the second half. But uh, it
0: was, you know, was Rick Ritchie, I think. Did that's that, it, wasn't Matt it? Ritchie.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I, I think on the I mean, but also on the other hand, it's slightly more old school. You know, it, it does pain me that teams can kick us off the pitch now, and it's not something that really. You know, growing up with sort of midfielders from and Makaleli to Essien to Balak and, and Lampard, you know, you, you're not really used to seeing your teammates, your team kind of, you know, kind of getting bullied by players. And I do wish at times that we had someone in that team. And I think we go back looking at someone like Ethan Ambedee here, who who can actually dish a little bit out as well. And I do think that sometimes teams take liberties with Hazard in particular because they know that there's going to be no one to to give any sort of retribution. I think, you know, Louise has a little bit of that in his game, but you're less likely to see it at centre back. And I think Rudiger is also quite tough, but again, from a centre back, I think it's, you're less likely to see it. So I think that, that you know, it's, it's not necessarily something that, that, you know, you want to actively encourage someone to go out and start kicking people. But I do feel that when these teams start trying to push the physical edge and start trying to make things a little bit kind of, uh, you know, close to kind of the line to what is acceptable. If you dish a little bit back, and we've seen it, you know, in years gone by, teams try to bully us, and then Michael Essien sort of, you know, nearly snaps someone in half. It's not a great thing to look back on, but it completely removes that element of play from the other team. So I think we need to be a little bit better. Maybe, uh, you know, someone in that team has to show a little bit more aggression in midfield, maybe. But equally, I, I think the referees have a huge part to play here. And until they start kind of, you know, chaining some of these fouls together and realising that it is in most pretty much every single week a systematic attempt to just kind of take one for the team from from different players Hazard is going to continue to see this sort of treatment so you know that, that would be my, my preferred way of dealing it would be referees but I think we're going to have to maybe start looking at someone like Ampadu or, or someone who can who can at least put it put it back a little bit you know not go over the top but someone who can actually stand up for for their teammates because if it's Luiz and, and Rudiger they're not going to run from from uh, from central defence, every single time Hazard gets chopped, I'd rather see a midfielder sort of go there and and start sort of protecting him a little bit more than what he gets at the moment.
2: Yeah, I mean we're kind of missing a, a Balak and an Sien and, yeah. and a and a Mikel to stamp on anybody who slips yes. them out. <laughs> I'm I'm going to I'm going to swerve the Morata Giroud debate because I think most of us would like to see Giroud start at the moment, and I think it makes a lot of sense. It being that it's Cardiff who will pack the defence, who we won't be able to play through, and and you know Giroud can hold the ball up. And he's strong enough to to withstand the challenges. And of course, he can get his head onto the ball too. Um, I'm going to finish this up really by just kind of talking about the fact that, you know, come on, the Cardiff are favourites to go down. We've we've shown a lot of patience and resilience in breaking stubborn teams down recently. Surely this is a banker. Please tell me this is a banker. But no doubt, Ollie, an early goal will be, will be crucial here, won't it?
1: Yeah, of course. When it comes to these sort of games, the longer they go on without a goal, the more frustrating it does become. And... And, you know, it starts looking more and more tense and more and more you know, like it's going to turn into a draw. I think the early goal is, but, you know, there shouldn't be any reason why Chelsea can't go and get three points against Cardiff. You know, I I, I have Cardiff to go down. I don't see them having enough in the Premier League this year to survive. I don't see they're going to do a, a Huddersfield and, and stay up. I can't see that at all. Um, and, you know, I, I just think it's one of those, you know, yeah, if they can get the early goal, even if it's through a penalty or a free kick or something like that again, then, then it doesn't really matter. Just get that early goal, keep it tight and then go and push on from there.
2: Mm, well, let's hope so. Uh, I can confirm, Jonathan, uh, that I Saw Alan May score, says uh, that it his, he saw Alan May score uh, Orion away in 1981 and Hull away in 1982. Sadly, not the Cardiff game. He was oop-north smoking too much and feeling sorry for himself being so far away from Stamford Bridge.
0: <laughs> well, that's, that's, that's rather lovely how nice that uh, he has seen him score. I've seen him score we as go. well, actually. Obviously, yeah. I've seen him score. He scored 16 goals, yeah. I think, for Chelsea, if I remember rightly. Is that yeah. correct? Can somebody tell know. me if that's right? 16, I think. It was, uh, he had an annoying habit scored... of of turning round on the spot. That seemed to be his main way of beating somebody. He sort of do a 360-degree mm. turn. I remember I used to be in despair of it, but, you know, that was the era. So.
2: Well, uh, unless, unless he scored uh, on the big match or match of the day then I don't think I did. He was slightly before my, my time. I didn't, I didn't start going until kind of the mid, mid-80s, mid really. So, uh, thankfully, I, I missed him. Uh, I don't mean that. He's lovely. Uh, right, in part three, which is going to be coming up in a second, we've got... Um, what have we got? Uh, we haven't got what i said we've got, which is the sporters news. I obviously can't type, but the, this we already know. No, we've got three superb emails. One of them is huge. It's very long. So, hopefully, um, uh, Jonathan's Wi-Fi uh, can and be man, you know, be man enough to deal with it. Uh, apart from the story associated with it, there is a question, and there are questions for the other two emails as well, so we will speak about those in a second. Chidge! JK! In all the years you've been following Chelsea, you hardly ever miss a match, home or away. But how would you feel if you couldn't be there and it's not on TV? Oh, Chich,
0: I'd be bereft. Inconsolable.
2: Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. Real fans, real opinions. I'm Jason Cundy. And you're listening to the Chelsea Football Fancast, proper Chelsea Football Fancast. Right, welcome back. I'm Sam Chidge, and you're listening to the Chelsea Fancast. And uh, we now have some emails from you, the listeners. There we go. Who says it's a dictatorship on this show? Now, the first one is from uh, Matt. Oh, good grief, Matty Gebra Christos. Gebra Christos. Do you think, Jonathan? Gebra Christos, yes, yes. Who, fact, and I must tell you this. Is that is that the Matty? I it thought is. they were from Arizona.
0: So did I. I thought they were from Arizona. So did I originally. Well, it must be the same one. Is it, oh, it's not the same well, one. I,
2: no, no, I think it might not. be different, but... But he is an executive pastor, which, yeah, I, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm impressed. We've got we've got somebody from the church listening to this show. I now so was I had, Matty. I wasn't Matty so, was as well, wasn't he? Well, I know. So maybe I, I'm confused here because I'm sure they were from Arizona. I now feel bad about being so profane on the show regularly now that I know we have men of God <laughs> listening to it. But there you go. Anyway, I'm going to shut up and let you get on with it.
0: Uh, execu- executive pasta, yes. Hello, gents. My name is Matty, and I'm reaching out from Pasadena, California, here on the other side of the pond. First-time emailer and a big admirer of your podcast. Thank you very much, Matty. Every week on Tuesday, the Chelsea Fancast is definitely a highlight in an otherwise work-filled day. I absolutely enjoy the perspective that you gents offer. Considering you're at the bridge almost every week and having been fans of the club, we all love all, we all love for much longer than I have. Funny thing about the bridge. I've never been to the bridge. Oh, it isn't the same, Matty, obviously. Good old Stamford Bridge, which we all call home. But I do work for a church called The Bridge here in Pasadena. Oh, it's an omen. I've been a Chelsea fan for about 18 years now, but I still haven't visited London. So I haven't... Ex- experienced the magic of Stamford Bridge just yet, but hoping that sooner than later, the wife and I will pay the bridge a visit. Feel free to skip this part of the email, as it's not a question, but rather my story of how I became a lifelong Chelsea fan. Okay, I will. And uh, that's it. Bye-bye, Matty. No. (laughs) No, I won't. Yes. How I became a Chelsea fan. I grew up in the tiny country in Africa called Eritrea, just north of Ethiopia. I was born in 93, and for the first few years of my life, we didn't have a TV or anything, but I remember listening to some World Cup 98 games commentary on the radio. My grandparents bought a TV for the family, just in time for the World Cup final, and that final is my first memory of watching a proper professional match. Fast forward to 2000, and the Premiership starts to get televised frequently. We would have access to One game a weekend, and that was it. There was a movie theatre about 150 yards outside my house, and whenever there was a match, the theatre would suspend all kinds of movies and show the match on their big screen. This was epic because Manure, Man United, if you know what I mean, and Arsenal fans would infest the place, and one thing that was sure to be there was passion for the game. The whole town supported one of the two teams for whatever reason, and there may have been seven or eight Liverpool fans too lucky for me i'd struck a friendship with the theater owner's son and throughout the week his son and i would go and rent movies on cassettes that he could use to show movies in his theater he didn't care about new releases he just needed something to show my friendship with him and his son meant i meant i got into the theater to watch games for free the first game I ever attended was the 3-3 draw between Manure and Chelsea on September the 23rd 2000. This was my 7th birthday and the atmosphere in there was electric especially because there was not one Chelsea fan in that sold out theater all Manure Manure fans and me a neutral at the time because I had no idea who these teams really were. I happened to be wearing a blue shirt and because of that I got a few dirty looks. Not sure exactly what it was that I found more attractive about the blues than Manure on that day. But all I remember was leaving that theater thinking, I like those guys in blue. Following that weekend, I got to see the Mighty Blues play just two more times that season as their games weren't televised. The following season, the theatre purchased some sort of special access and increased their coverage of the Premier League to five to six games a weekend. At this point, there were almost no movies playing on weekends and it was in this season I started started to follow the blues with all the passion in the world and I'm so grateful to have witnessed that some of the greatest years the club has enjoyed. Super Frankie Lampard became my favourite player in the 04 05 season and remains my favourite blue of all time. And I've probably owned 10 Lampard jerseys in my life. Beating Bolton 2 0 at the end of the 04 05 season and winning the Champions League in 2012, which I ditched school for to watch live, don't tell my mother, are two of my favourite memories, not just in football, but in life. I'm very excited to see where Sarri and his philosophies take us and very optimistic that we have an outside chance of winning the league this season. Uh, More than an outside chance, I think. My question, my question for you fine gents revolves around the imbalance in our team. Our current left side of the field is absolutely what's got us four wins out of four. In the Huddersfield game, both the first and third goal came directly from the left side and Alonso from the left side obviously won the penalty for the second one. Against Arsenal, again, both the first and third goal came from that left-hand side. Our penalty against Newcastle was one after combination play between Hazard and Alonso. And the second goal against Bournemouth was also Hazard-Alonso and combination from the left. Even Pedro, albeit he's our right-winger, came from the left-hand side to score the opening goal against the Cherries after receiving the ball from Alonso. Our right side, with the exception of the Aspilicuerta assisted Murata goal against Arsenal, hasn't contributed to much of what Sari's doing at Chelsea so far. This constant reliance on our left side to produce all our real threats also means we're more vulnerable on that side when we're defending. A lot of the chances we've conceded have come from Alonso's side. And against Newcastle, he was clearly too tired to go after Yedlin for their goal. I mean, it was good old Oliver Giroud that was at left back defending the little American. And poor Giroud, his jaw probably still hurts from that elbow. I believe our right side needs to threaten more, needs to penetrate more. This will also allow our left side to become even stronger if the attention isn't so much on Hazard. At this point in the season and looking at how we're playing, there's no need for a big centre forward. We haven't scored any headed goals and we aren't hoofing up long balls to our forward. Well, slightly are when Morata's there. So to me, playing little Pedrito as a false nine and having a front three of Willayan, the dangerous Hazard and Pedrito would be terrifying for other teams. These guys can pass, run with the ball and Pedro's intelligence is on another level. He's got a proper striker's instinct. He knows when and where to be. The goal he scored against Arsenal is a perfect example. Having three diminutive players who love the intricate passes and runs, in my opinion, would be a headache for static defences that want to sit in their own six-yard box and defend. What do you think of this? And what are the chances of us seeing the three little ones as a front three at some point this season? Thanks for taking the time to read this email, even if you don't mention it in the podcast. We have, Matty. Forgive me for how long it is. It might end up lengthening the weekly podcast to over three hours. No. Anyways, I love what you guys are doing. We'll be tuning in every chance I get. I believe we're in for a special season and an even more special and better one next season. Thanks for what you do and up the chels. Enjoy. Matty Pasadena. That's very well informed, isn't it? Very well informed. Mm. And, um i think the answer to his question is uh, as Piliqueta, full stop for me that's why because uh, alonso attacks and uh, uh, and dave isn't as 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 um I don't, I don't know if he's required to go up as much he's not as much of a, as an attacker as alonso is alonso's um absolutely phenomenal as a, as a, an attacker for me as a left back whereas dave is a fantastic defender and full back but not on the same level what do the other guys think
2: well, I, I first of all, I was gonna. I mean, uh, I, I was pondering that one. Um, but uh, we talked a little bit about Kante swapping over with Kovacic to maybe give a little more cover for uh, Alonso, which I don't think is a, a preposterously stupid idea. But I mean, the main question that coming out of, of that was also this idea of playing the three little ones up front. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is some. Yeah, it's just Funny enough, it was something I talked about with Kerry on the on the Kerry Dixon show last week. But Joe. Um, you know, I th- I think because uh, Sarri's got rid of Tammy Abraham and that means it leaves us with only Giroud and Morata as the two strikers. I-, I think that this is in his mind that for the right game, he may well play uh, the three up front being William Pedro and Hazard. And, and I think not-, not Hazard as a false number nine, but basically those three moving like Bilio and being really flexible. But you- can you see that working?
3: 100%, yeah. I mean, I think the the more that we see teams sit deep and, and effectively just kind of man the edge of their own penalty area, I think that the the requirements in terms of what you want your force to do differ massively. I think, you know, when you see that the strength of, of Giroud and, and Morata are probably more to sort of attack, attack crosses and to kind of maybe hold play up, whereas I think we're actually, we're doing quite well now in terms of getting the ball into the final third, but maybe the kind of, the profile of four that we need is, is slightly different now because, you know, it, it's not a question of just lumping balls into Morata or or crossing the ball. And it seems to be that we want to kind of play our way into sort of better shooting positions. And I, I think that that playing Pedro, Willian, and and Hazard, um, particularly against these teams that play deeper, is going to ask much much different—you know—different you know, different questions. Because if you're if you're defending the edge of your your penalty area as, as a centre back, you want to have that physical contact with a centre forward. You want to kind of have someone to mark. And when you kind of put Pedro there, or Hazard, or Willian, or whoever, maybe Hudson the Doy kind of comes into that that equation as well. There's no one for them to mark. They're just going to be kind of really sort of playing with a head on a swivel, and it actually I think it asks a lot more questions of of the opposition team than, than when we have just a forward who's pretty much going to be not not static. But I mean, you know, Murata and Giroud aren't aren't kind of guys who are going to be really asking these guys questions in behind or or coming in linking playing playing really intricate football, which. I think at times, I think we've seen this season that that's sort of the style of play that we're trying to regress towards. So, you know, I think the more that we see teams defend against us, I think the likelihood of playing Pedro as a, as a forward probably increases. And I would I would be surprised if, if say, come December time, the more that we see these teams adopt this sort of tactic against us, I could see that that, that almost becomes the, the kind of de facto formation or de facto kind of personnel that, that sorry looks to deploy at some point.
2: Hmm um you're getting a bit of pushback here from uh, Toe, which I'll uh, I'll deal with but he he says I, I he doesn't like that formation because you need need someone to occupy the defenders and playing the three of them will allow defenses to sit back benji I, I would disagree with that i think joe's point absolutely nails that is that actually defenders like to have you know a person a striker to mark because that's kind of how they're programmed and uh the, uh the other thing i would and of course we've, if, as, as joe said if you've got three of them buzzing around that makes that a lot harder uh, and playing the three of them will allow defenses to sit back mate defenses are sitting back against us anyway i think that's you know part of our problem and, yeah. and perhaps having three people buzzing around and i think the, one of the things i like particularly is that i can see hazard really being given license to roam. i mean i know he starts out on the left and that's ostensibly his position, but I think we might see Hazard increasingly moving all over the place, giving a complete freedom uh, to Rome, and therefore be far more uh, destructive and uh, and uh, and 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 you know more creative. I mean th- that goal, by the way, he scored against Scotland was just astonishing. We didn't talk about that earlier. Wasn't that fantastic? Oli, yeah. did you see that?
1: Yeah, it was absolutely. It was a stunning goal. And, you know, we know the, the quality that he has. I think as well with that three up front, I think if you look at what Sarri did at Lazio, uh, sorry, Napoli, I don't know whether Lazio from from Napoli, with Callaghan and and uh, Mertens and Insigne, you know, he used three very technically gifted players. None of them taught all sort of centre-forwards, as you like, and he used them to really fit his style. And I think that's exactly kind of what he's got in that front three. And I think that that is a way that he will go. I think it's a way that can be a lot more successful than it was under Conte, where the style of play is completely different. Um, you know, and they have the technical ability to do it and then throw in the likes of Hudson Adore in the mix as well. If he needs to come on off the bench, or, you know, I'm still not convinced about Victor Moses, whether he's the right player to be as a backup winger. But, uh, you know, I think that Sarri has has a background of doing it at Napoli, and I, I don't think it will be very, very long until we see the front three of Pedro, William and Hazard.
2: Mm, good stuff. JK, we've got another email from Mikhail Maris. Isn't
1: it Michiel?
0: Michiel? Michiel, I don't know. Michiel Maris, named after the potato. Maris Piper. No, that's really <laughs> unfair. <laughs> 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 I'm sure. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not speaking to be rude. Um, I wonder if they've got, he's got
2: Isn't a sister called Piper. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Piper Maris. Yeah, no, I know what you meant, Maris Piper. I was being obtuse. Um, hi, guys. With a lot of fans, analysts and journalists saying that Kante is being out of his best position in the new system of Sarri, I have a hypothesis for you guys to think about during the international break. One of the best players in the league and the world to play in that position would be Kevin De Bruyne. So imagine you could trade Kante for a fit De Bruyne. Who would get the best deal, Chelsea or Man City? Man City would get one of the best defensive midfielders, giving freedom to all their attacking players, but they lose one of their key attacking players. Chelsea would get one of the best players for that position in the system. However, this could be dangerous from a defensive perspective. If you would not trade Kante for De Bruyne, who would close the debate that Kante is not being played in a position where he isn't one of the best in the world? What are your thoughts? Love the podcast. Keep up the good work and keep the blue flag flying high, or Michiel or Mickiel or Michael or yes, um, uh, Mickey. Uh, Mickey, yeah, Mick, <laughs> um, uh the M man. Um, uh, madness, never. He would wouldn't come anyway. Um, uh, is it this just kind of a, a um, you know what if question rather than yeah. being who would yeah. be do. Um yeah Well, uh, at the moment I don't think I don't think that he's got the system right yet so uh, we've only had four games you know so I think we should give him a chance I think we're doing very well with the four games and I think it'll work better but I do find the, the sight of him uh, sprinting into the penalty area to head the ball wide one of the most bizarre things I've seen for a couple of seasons considering as we say he's one of the best uh, defensive midfielders in the world um but um I think the idea, uh, uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, is that um, the, the more that they press and the more that they prevent the opposition, that they get the ball back as soon as possible. The way of doing this is by having him further up. So his role ceases to be completely defensive midfielder and becomes midfielder who's like doing his defensive duties, but foot much further up the pitch, which at the moment he doesn't seem to be doing because they haven't perfected it yet and i think we must realize that the system is still being perfected and the ball needs to be played much more quickly and will be i have every every um um what's the word um um i'm convinced every conviction that he will get it right sorry, and that we will get better and better and become uh, an immense force over the next few seasons in not only in um in England but in Europe I just think it the signs are too good for me with this it's uh, I keep saying this it's exhilarating stuff but um so I would stick with Kante and not want to stop him for De Bruyne
2: well I would agree with that entirely actually uh, you know I, I, why would I why would I want to take back a moody bloody belgian another <laughs> moody bloody belgian <laughs> And replace him for probably one of the nicest, smiliest, loveliest football players on the planet in, in N'Golo Kante who drives around in a mini and would do everything that you asked of him and more. I mean, Kante's weight is well, he's worth his weight in gold and then some. Um, and I agree with Jonathan. We've been saying on the show for a while that I think ultimately that that's what his role is, is to win the ball high up, You know, to, to be the one that instigates the the, the press high up. I, I agree. It it just I know I mean the thing the difficulty for us all is that he was so clearly the best player in the world in that position as a defensive midfielder. It it's really it's just annoying and difficult to see him kind of being played out of position. But I, I have every faith in Kante. I think he's an incredibly able footballer and I think he could play anywhere if he puts his mind to it. So I wouldn't do that. And and much as I, I, I do rate Kevin De Bruyne, I think he's a fabulous footballer. Uh, and we dropped a bollock by letting him go, but you know, ultimately, you know, he's a moody Belgium, and he and he was he wanted to go. What can you do? You know, anyway, uh, I, Joe and Joe and uh, Ollie might shed more light on that. Uh, Joe, you have first crack.
3: Um, I mean, I, I can see, I can see where he's coming from. I, I think you kind of alluded it to a little bit earlier when you thought maybe Kante was shaded a bit high. I think De Bruyne probably has the characteristics now to play that role slightly better than Kante. But I mean, if, if you're just looking at the players, I mean, I would much rather have Kante in the team um, anywhere in goal than, than really go back for, for De Bruyne at this point. And I'm, I'm a huge De Bruyne fan. I think he's an incredibly talented player, you know, fantastic set pieces, just an all round, really, really top footballer. But I think that, that Kante is, is becoming a, a very, very uh, kind of top tier Chelsea player, sort of historically as well. And I think that, that, that kind of, I suppose relationship with the fans and also just where he kind of sits among sort of the pantheon of, of Chelsea greats is is kind of increasing sort of year on year. So I think that he will he'll hopefully in, in, in this scenario I would I would keep Kante. Um but I mean I, yeah, I, I can see where the guy's coming from with, with kind of the proposed swap trade. But you know, I'd be very uh very worried to see what someone like Guardiola could do with Kante's legs in in that team because it would just mean even less players he needs to put in defence and and just probably just maybe put Kante maybe two defenders and just put everyone else's attacking. And that would be quite worrying to see them have a player that, that can do two or three players' jobs defensively. So, yeah, we would definitely keep Kante. But, yeah, I can kind of see what the guy's alluding to.
1: Mm. Uh, what about you, Ollie? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't swap Kante for a, for anyone, to be honest, even if it is a new position he's playing. I think what you guys said about the fact it is only four games. You know, this is a completely new role. He also didn't get pre-season to even practice the role because he was coming back from the World Cup. So, you know, there's still a long way to go with him in that position, but I wouldn't have anyone else in, in, in the league playing it, really. I think that, you know, he he's the one player around that has the energy and the stamina to to play a role like that. And I think if you saw it against Bournemouth, you know, when he got back and and nipped the ball away when, when Bournemouth had the chance to go through after Louise made that mistake, you know, he's that sort of player and he can do it all, really. I think that give him time and he will develop into that role as good as anyone will be. I think that, you know, he's just, a, I can't speak highly enough about Kante. I think he really is an absolutely fantastic player and he just needs the time to really get into to Sarri's system and and find his feet at that sort of in that role. I'm sure he will be able to do it. And the other thing about it as well is just, you know, him playing in that role is, is Jorginho has been so influential and he's such a, a key man for the way that Sarri wants to play. Um, so for him to play in the role and see the ball more often and pick the passes more and set the tempo, maybe Kante wouldn't have been quite as effective this season as he had been last season, if he'd been asked to do that, because Jorginho is obviously a better ball player than he is. Um, so, you know, I think that he will take, it'll take time, but I'm sure that Kante will, will mold into that role. Definitely very, very well.
2: Mm. So the message is keep Kante and carry on. I think so. Uh, on that note, uh, we've got another. I mean, talk about bloody difficult names to pronounce tonight, Jonathan. Um, I'm going to have. I'm going to have a stab at this one. Newful Gemari.
0: I think that's pretty good, Chich. Newful, mm. g- Newful Gamari. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I'll go with that one. Newful Gemari, Yes. Hi uh, mate. I'm from Canada. We'll... <gasps> Hi, mate. I'm from Canada and we will be watching the first game in Stamford Bridge of my life on the 29th against Liverpool. You've chosen a very good one, Neufel. I would like to know where most of the fans meet up before games, assuming it's a pub, obviously. What do you suggest, Chich? The cock? Yeah, I think so. Also, would like to know what else there is to do before, after the game. You go to the, um, uh, uh, what do you call it? The um, Since I'm looking to have the best experience possible um last thing if you could let me know in which stand to buy my ticket in order to sit with the most hardcore fans thank you have a nice day Well, i'm slightly worried that he hasn't got a ticket clearly
2: yeah i mean that doesn't sound good it doesn't I mean, sound newful, good how lovely how, yeah how lovely to hear from you uh i'll take all of those in turn uh definitely you know we all drink in the cock so uh, it's at the bottom of north end road come and have a pint with us in there, it'd be lovely to see you we're usually in the garden, so announce yourself Uh, what to do beforehand well, I mean, just have a good old mosey around around near the stadium I mean, you may want to pop into the odious Nike Town, sorry uh, Chelsea Merchandise Store Uh, they don't really sell much of interest to me but they might have something of interest to you Um, an absolute must is to go and visit the CFC UK store and buy yourself a fanzine, it's only a pound, hurry up but they also sell some decent T-shirts, uh, which are a little bit different. And loads and loads and loads of great Chelsea books. So I would go there, soak up a bit of the atmosphere there. Um, now, yeah, I mean, like Jonathan, I'm worried you haven't got a ticket. I mean, mate, it's hard to get tickets for any game. But the Liverpool game, blimey. Well, good luck with that. Um I mean, you know, if 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 this was kind of back in time and and before they, I mean, I, I hesitate to say that it's probably even sold out. I don't want to depress you any further. The reality is this: uh, in my in my humble opinion, not everybody agrees with this, but I would say the best place to be is the Matthew Harding lower. I think that the that's the spiritual home of the shed. Anybody who sits in the shed now are going to be coating me off like rotten. I know they are, <laughs> but I think I think that that's the most raucous part of the stadium. That's where the real nutters are uh, and that's where i would head for um but do not uh do not disabuse yourself of the shed end it, it's a wonderful place to be my only contention with it is that you know half of it's taken up with the, the bloody away fans uh so I, I i i i hesitated to call it the home end these days but you'll find some brilliant people in the shed i mean the way the shed group base themselves there obviously <laughs> So there's a really good – and they've made a real uh, a massive impact on improving the atmosphere in the ground and it, and generating it from where they sit in the shed end. So it's a great place to be if you can get a ticket in there. And if coating off scousers and making strange gesticulations towards them is your thing, obviously you'll be well positioned so to do. Uh, but anyway, Newport, I wish you huge luck uh, with that and, and, and getting a ticket because, I mean, mate, I, I've got to be honest. If you're trying to buy one now, you're going to struggle. Um, but I wish you luck, and I hope you can make it, and I hope we see you in the pub.
0: He could try and buy a, a hospitality one and sit near me, but then he, yeah. he'd have to, bring, <laughs> have to bring his manservant with him.
2: He would, he would. All right, okay. Right, you lot, uh, brilliant emails as always. Uh, keep them coming. Uh, we do like to have them. We'd love to read them out. Jonathan absolutely loves it when, when he gets to read your emails out. So, Make sure you send them in, uh, preferably by, uh, well, before Monday. So that means a Sunday, really. And send them to at ChelseaFanCast at gmail.com. And then they will be read right out. Now, part four, um, I'm now going to ask Mixler officially if you can come up with some questions in the next minute or two We will answer them. If not, I will read the usual parish notices. And if there's time at the end, I will read them then. But we need your questions now because we're hopefully going to answer a few of them in a minute. And, of course, talk to you about Supporters News. Real fans, real opinions. I'm Jason Cundy. And you're listening to the Chelsea Football Fancast. Up the Chelsea Football Right, welcome back. This is Stanford Chidge and the Chelsea Fancast, and uh, we have royalty with us tonight because we've got the wonderful Joe Tweeds and the lovely uh, Ollie Harbord, and of course the uh, effervescent Jonathan Kidd. Oh, how but, uh, lovely. Now, on this well that's my pleasure now um i am at the moment um we are open for business for questions from mixler and uh, goodness me there we go right on time from hazardous 17 i can still hear georgia by the way hazardous 17 uh what position do you guys think hudson and doy will end up playing for us on the wing or up top like Mertons? that's got joe tweeds written all over it that
3: question uh, tough one. I mean, I think his best position at the moment is where Eden has a place. So I don't think he's probably going to be uh, seeing too much time there. And that's, I think, as we said, Europa League and Cups. I have a sneaky suspicion that, given his skill set, his finishing ability, his just general confidence. And obviously, we, I think we all know that he's, he's pretty pretty rapid as well. That with, with his kind of technical side of his game, he could probably play... As a as a centre forward in this Sari system, you know he's got the ability to both run in behind, but also has that that kind of really nice sort of close control with technique and technique, and really really good dribbling skills to kind of contribute uh, when defences kind of sit sit kind of quite deep as well. So I would love to see him uh, given a go down the middle. I think potentially that you you have a a really excellent player there. But I mean I think for the time being, you know if he's if he's playing when Hazard plays, he's going to play as a right winger. If Hazard isn't there, I think his best position is, is on the left-hand side, cutting in on his right foot and shooting and, and generally being a, a bit of a creative menace.
2: Mm, good answer. Right, I've got one uh, from the lovely Bob Oosery here. I'm going to ask Ollie this one. He says, I know we paid a lot for uh, the new goalie, but I think he'll work out cheaper than the whinging Belgian, or as I like <laughs> to call him, the uh, uh, waffle-munching Belgian, or the Belgian waffle-muncher. Uh but, yeah, so Bob thinks that he'll work out to be cheaper than the, the, the whinging Belgian over time. I'm I'm not sure what you mean by cheaper. I mean, perhaps better would be a better way to put it. I
1: don't know. Maybe Bob can correct me. What do you, what do you reckon, Ollie? Yeah, I mean, look, you are getting a, a young goalkeeper. I think that it was obviously a lot of money for a goalkeeper now. We're talking about silly prices, really, for, for all players concerned. But the fact that you're paying €80 million, euros, you know, £71.6 million pounds for a goalkeeper these days is... It's pretty uh, extreme, really, for for what what it has been in the past. You know, it was a seven-year contract as well. I think that maybe is is what he means by cheaper. I think if you spread that money out over the next seven years, should Kepper remain, or if he does turn into one of the best goalkeepers in the world, and then somebody comes in even bigger for him, then you never know what might happen in the future. Um, you know, it's an exciting it's an exciting signing because you know the Real Madrid were very interested in him as well, so. You know, any player that Madrid are interested in obviously has something about him. Uh, We just don't know what he's going to be like yet. I think that's the real thing. You know, he's only had four games in which he's been not tested particularly at all. You know, I gave him maybe a slightly harsh uh, criticism in my ratings, but but that's because I thought that the couple of goals he's conceded that maybe he could have done a little bit better on, uh, especially the Mkhitaryan goal against Arsenal as well. But I think it's an exciting, exciting time to have a, a goalkeeper like that. And hopefully he can grow into... The sort of player that Chelsea think he can be. I
0: suppose he didn't. He didn't actually cost the the seventy one million because of the the fee they got for Courtois as well. I suppose that was in their thoughts when they when they purchased him.
1: Yeah, of um, course, it's he offset with it's offset with that, isn't it? As well, and the fact that it is a seven year deal. You know, you've got to think yeah, they're not going to pay any yeah. more money for a goalkeeper for the next seven years than then it is going to work out quite cheap year on year.
0: But I may say mm. that that um, that Courtois has just. What on earth he, he, those statements he was making about? What did he say um, when he when you looked at the crowd at Chelsea? It sort of ended after you looked up, and then it, there it finished, and there was the sky. And you look up at Real Madrid, and it just keeps on going forever. All these statements he's been making that are just so pro Madrid and so anti Chelsea. And then he makes a statement on Twitter saying he doesn't understand why he's not being liked by the Chelsea fans. I mean, and it, 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 he's he's a very strange boy, Courtois. Um, the way he's alienated all the Chelsea supporters, I find it very peculiar.
3: So. Well, he's, he's got a lot of time to to philosophise sitting on their bench, hasn't he? So. yes, yes. <laughs> Clearly,
2: a weird chap and not very nice. That's what happens when you uh, are a waffle munching, big nose Belgium. Uh, right, uh, we've got some. We've got we've got quite a lot of questions coming in. Uh, uh, uh uh sorry i got real i've got this isn't a question but it's made me laugh from hazardous 17 don't know how he could see the sky around that big fucking nose quite right uh right we've got one from uh one from vin de blue question for joe uh if teams play with a low block so you've lost me already vin so i'm glad you're asking joe this if teams play with a low block then is Giroud a better pick than morata
3: I think Jüri is a better fit, regardless of kind of how opposition teams play at the moment. But, but particularly with a low block, I, I, it's effectively the parking the bus stuff. Chish, that teams play really deep against us. So, um, Newcastle would be a good example. I, I just think, unless, unless there is space for Morata to to run into to counter into, and you know, I feel that just at the moment he just doesn't suit the way we play. Yeah, I think to to Chish's point, that's one of the main reasons why I'd like to see. Pedro or, or, you know, that kind of Pedro win has a front free try because it asks different questions of teams who sit deep and teams who sit deep are often looking for a traditional centre forward, someone that they can, they can touch, they can mark, they can keep their eye on. You know, if you, if you leave centre backs, particularly some of the teams are playing against are not sort of these world-class centre halves who are perfectly aware and good on the ball, you know, they're, they're there really to sort of just be cloggers and to, to sort of stop shots and stuff like that. So I think you've got to ask some different questions, but I would agree at the moment, and particularly the way we're playing, I think Giroud's actually, um, he, he holds play up better. Um, he's, he's a better, I think, uh, at linking up with Eden Hazard in particular. And I, I also think as well, just his his general movement is is a little bit better than Morata. So, I mean, I, I would start him if he's the option, but I would look to try and explore the the possibility of, of trying Pedro down the middle, because I do think that once uh, once the team's kind of, establish that this is the way they're going to play against us then you have to ask the different questions and I think that being playing a slightly non-traditional centre forward and maybe just the, the three of the guys just rotating quite fluidly I don't think many teams will be able to cope with that um, particularly uh, not to the extent that they have in some games where we've looked a little bit one-dimensional sometimes with Morata up front.
0: It'd be a very interesting thing to try because the, the, uh, the centre-halves would probably go looking for the player they have to mark if yeah, there's nobody there to, right
3: awake,
0: yeah. Yeah, there to mark. Yeah, they vacate, leave space in the middle, absolutely. And I refer bizarrely to a piece of information I remember. In the 1953 England-Hungary game, um, Hida Guti was a low, was, was, wasn't was playing centre-forward, centre-forward, he was playing much lower back, lower um, placed, nearer the midfield. And Billy Wright didn't know what to do, and so just walked straight out of defence to try and find him. Leaving this huge space, and it's one of the reasons they scored scored the six goals against us in the six three. So these things do get repeated. Um,
2: right. Um, I've got three more questions, and then that we'll call it a day for the questions. Uh, I've got a wonderful one. This is really kind of for all of us. I I saw Alan May's score it says uh, winning, but attritional football, or entertaining football that pleases the eyes, but is less ruthlessly efficient. So I think he's, he's you know, winning or... I mean, I, I'm, I am bound to say, mate, both. Uh, yeah, me I like too. To see. Uh, you know, I like to see great football and win. But I tell you what, um, I had this... I mean, actually, I, I must bring this in because it relates to the previous uh, question as well. But I did the uh, Love Sport Breakfast Show uh, on Sunday with uh, Paul Mortimer, who used to be... He uh, used to play for Charlton and all sorts of places like that. But he was also on the coaching staff at various clubs. And he uh, he, I was talking to him before we went on air, and and he was telling me all this tactical stuff and coaching stuff, and it just made me realise how very little us amateurs know. We like to think we know about tactics and football, but you know, people who've done it, they 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 look they have a completely different aspect on it than us, which which was quite an interesting little wake up call for me. Um, but I did have an argument with him on air um and I I, you know which basically ended up saying I don't pay to go to football to be entertained I don't I I I basically go for a great day out with my mates and I like to see my team win for me entertainment and brilliant football is a bonus it's not a right it's not an expectation and I certainly don't demand it because I pay lots of money to go so I think at the end of the day if I was, you know, pushed in a corner with a gun to my head to say give me an answer, I would say I would much rather see my team win than to go home being entertained and drawn or lost because at the end of the day, seeing my team win and particularly win trophies makes me a very happy bunny. There we go. I gave you a perfect, perfect opportunity to chime in, and nobody said anything because you're still reeling from the enormity of my Churchillian statement, Jonathan. No, weren't no
0: you? The, br- the brilliant eloquence, Chidge. I think more likely we're we're reeling from.
2: Could, what do you reckon then? Do you want to be entertained, or do you want to win? No, I, 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 I,
0: I both, both. I, I, I'd la- I, I prefer winning, absolutely every time, like you. But at the same time, if if you can do it in entertaining style. All the better. This is why I'm so uh, I'm so pleased about what is bringing, even after four games. Because it looks to me they, they, they cannot but entertain playing this way. But And, and I keep go banging on about it, but I just think we've got such skillful players. Um, and I was reading an article during the week saying they should let Hazard go to either Madrid or Barcelona or Bayern Munich, because that's the kind of team he needs to play for. And I think, hang on a second, we're on the same level as them if we can play if if we can start winning European trophies that's all you need to do Bayern weren't up there they just managed to get a very good philosophy and some very good players and so if all we need to do is do that we'll be back to where we were 10 years ago and I, I have great hopes for this setup and I think it'll be both um, entertaining and, uh, uh, and winning and a winning formula and that's what I love seeing but I agree with you completely if you, if, you, if you keep winning and it's a bit dull uh, as to some extent happened occasionally under Conte um, uh, I'm, uh, I'm happy for it uh, and the momentum seems to you go with it and the players seem to play better even if they're playing slightly dull they, as long as they keep winning yeah I'm absolutely for that
3: Right uh, Joe um, I, I think probably my answer has changed in what it would have been in the past few seasons I, I think after kind of the what was it sort of the Mourinho 15-16 and, and Conte's kind of, you know, last season, I, I would probably rather just be be entertained or at least see a, a bit of attacking football at Chelsea. The Mourinho campaign, the 15-16 and, and last season, like really, it sucked a lot of the joy of watching Chelsea for me. And I think my relationship with Chelsea has probably slightly changed now that I don't go to as many games as what I used to as well. So for me, a, a lot of the enjoyment I get is not so much about the, the day, which which again I, I would say for me is, is probably one of the most important things. Spending time with your friends, family that that kind of aspect of Chelsea is something I miss a lot. But from like my kind of relationship is now more I I enjoy watching the the football and and seeing you know sort of how we we were kind of set up to counter attack really really poor size last season and refuse to play on the front foot. Now that that kind of setup and style is is not something that I. I really enjoyed seeing it all. And I think I I much prefer kind of Sari's sort of slightly more chaotic and proactive approach, um, trying to win games always sort of actively trying to be on the front foot. And I think that, yeah, I mean, if if it's a question of of winning and one nil every week, I'll I'll take the trophies and I'll take the, I'll take the success. But I think as a fan base, we've had that for for 10, 15 years. I, I would rather think at this point in time, see a slightly less efficient, um, team who are, who are more willing to try and sort of kind of extract the most out of the creative talents that we have at the club and, and push us forward in, in playing in a slightly different way you know it's uh, I think it's something that, that I completely agree with Jonathan it's kind of the way that football is, is heading um, a lot of these big size now successful teams play this kind of expansive attacking football rather than this kind of reactionary counter-attacking style which maybe we're a bit more used to as a club so I think it's it's going to be good for us in the long run and I'm, I'm really enjoying watching the, the team play this season um, but yeah, I think it's, it's for me, it would probably be the, the slightly more gung-ho attacking, slightly more chaotic approach than the measured, let's try and win, sort of 1-0 style. Mm.
2: Well, I, to be fair to Aysel may score, he 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 didn't pitch it as, you know, winning ugly versus losing attractively. Yeah, they're, they're not mutually twisted. Which I kind it, of, uh, yeah, yeah, I kind of twisted it because that's the kind of way I roll. Oli, uh, very quick answer and then we get go to the next two questions and then that's it for the question.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I, I completely agree with everyone really I mean obviously everyone wants to see their side win that's that's the the key key thing that's how you win trophies that's how you, you sort of celebrate as a team but you know I, I've got to say if I never see a, a game quite like um, Chelsea at Man City last year I'll be more than more than happy oh, yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. you know I think that that you know playing that more traditional style of football is great in some ways but you know I as a journalist as well I like to go to watch games be entertained and I think so he's doing that and i think i think a few teams around the league now looking at liverpool looking at city looking at a few others as well you know they're there to to entertain and and that's probably the best approach to win games now more than it is the attritional star mm,
2: fair enough right we've got a big question and a little question for ollie so the big one is from rocky mountain blue and he says i've been listening to the debate over our perceived weaknesses defensively down the left-hand side unless i was seeing things differently uh, didn't Rudy play on the left side of defence last year? Why is he now playing on the right side? Is it to accommodate Louise, or is that his best side, Joe?
3: Yeah. Um, so before we actually bought Louise, when Louise was at Benfica, um, he was always a left centre, like a left central side of defender, a bit like JT, right-footed, but plays on the left-hand side. So I think actually for, for Louise, it's more of his uh, his natural kind of position. Although I think... Given kind of maybe Alonso's deficiencies defensively, and a lot of it is around his just just straight, kind of straight line pace or just how quick he is, maybe playing Rudiger over there actually makes a little bit more sense. Um, you know, you've got you've kind of got Rudiger's recovery speed to to make up for any kind of deficiencies that that Alonso has in that in that capacity. So yeah, um I, I just think it's it's a traditional thing that Luis typically has played there in his career. I know that he played there for Brazil. Um, I think he also played there for PSG. It's just, just one of those things. Like JT was always the the left sided centre back. So I think it's just a thing. But I think from memory as well that when Rüdiger was at Roma, he always actually also used to play on the left hand side. So maybe it's just that Louise is is the slightly more dominant one and he, and he's picked there to to play there because uh, sorry prefers his maybe ability to to play kind of that angled ball from left to right with his right foot. I don't know something like that. But I mean I, I would consider at least. You know, when you look at kind of the Newcastle goal, the, the Yedling cross that maybe, you know, if uh, if Alonso can't get out there, then then maybe Rudiger might have been a bit more effective um, sort of trying to cover cover Alonso there. So it, sh- it might be something that Sarri needs to consider in the future. Um, but then also, I should probably note that, that Christensen probably will play as a right centre-back. So if Christensen did, for whatever reason, take Luis's spot, I would imagine that I would uh, you would probably see uh Rudiger step over to the to the left and then Christensen would play from the right hand side. Hmm.
2: Well actually as, as Vin de Blue has pointed out and as I was about to, honestly Vin, I, I this was my idea originally. I just want to let you know that. Uh, but of course Rudiger played left back for Germany uh in their last couple of matches, played really well, particularly stamping on that French bloke. Always to be commended. <laughs> um, right. Um okay last question for Ollie which kind of segues nicely on from Rocky Mountain Blues question. Um, Dean Mears, CFC UK. Not Chelsea Fancast, I-, I see, Dean, even though you have your own column. You have your own column on the Chelsea Fancast website. Goodness gracious me. Only the girl who likes balls and me have their own columns. Anyway, Dean says. Uh, why does Ollie hate David Louise? Hashtag scored him less than Morata
1: <laughs> I don't hate David Louise at all. I have to, no, I think, look, I think, <laughs> I'm going to try and defend myself here. Uh, I think Louise is a fantastic, uh, firstly, I think he's a fantastic character. Absolutely love him as a character. I think, you know, I was at the Under the Bridge um, uh, sort of Q&A session they did um, in the title winning season a couple of years back, and the guy is, is just, a fantastic guy. You can tell that. Um, I also think he's brilliant on the ball as well. I think he's a fantastic passer and, and probably the best passer that one of the best passes that Chelsea have got from deep. I mean, I think he's superb. I just think that defensively, you know, he's coming to a point now where he's, you know, there was always a question mark about him defensively, even during his first stint at Chelsea and going on from there, even to PSG. And I don't think he's ever quite got over that. And I think that defensively, there are better players, in the team and some of the moments where Chelsea have struggled this year you know very few moments have been through his mistakes defensively
2: nah fair enough mate I think (laughs) Dean's winding you up a tad but it was nice it was nice to see you squirm and defend yourself so well done and 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 uh, well done to all of you actually well 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 answered and good questions I like this bit I like this bit a lot Uh, In fact, I'm actually now really looking forward to the international break where I promise not to script so much other bloody stuff so we can leave more time for this. Because when you've got a couple of guys like uh, Ollie and Joe on, I mean, it's it's brilliant. I mean, I I could just ask them questions all night too. So there we go. Uh, But sadly, I can't because it's time for us to go home. Uh, But I'm going to read the parish notices out before I do that. The first one, of course, being to say a great big, lovely, warm, sloppy kiss. And thank you to all of the people who uh, subscribed to our Patreon uh, website, um, where basically they, you know, they donate a small amount of money every month, a bit like when you, you know, you buy the fanzine. So you're bunging a dollar a, an episode, say five dollars a month or whatever, and. And it all helps to, uh, to to you know, put petrol in my Bentley, basically. So thank you very much. Um, anyway, um, yeah, it's very easy to do. All you have to do is go to uh, com forward slash Chelsea Fancast. And uh, the other thing is I've now got the app on my phone. So it's a good way of getting a hold of me directly because, uh, you know, Twitter and Facebook and emailing, you know, it takes me a bit of time to figure that out and we'll get to it. Whereas... You know, you can have a little private community there, basically, with other Patreon members and me. Right, uh, Chelsea Supporters Trust, as always, join the Trust, get your voice heard by the club. It's free to join up to be a member, but uh, if you want to have a badge and you want to be able to vote in the elections and attend the meetings, then it's five quid. Uh, which is not a lot of money, really five quid a year. That is now uh, sign up at trust dot com and uh, and get involved. That's what we want. Make your voice heard. Follow them on Twitter at chelsea s trust. What I would say is congratulations to all of whom, all of the uh, new board who have been elected. That includes me, Chris Rabin, Dan Silver, uh, Teresa McGee, Dave Johnson, Cliff Auger. Goodness me. Uh, No, no. Uh, Robert Palmer. Not that Robert Palmer. Different Rob Palmer. Paul Hay. He's dead. Oh, bugger. I know he is. Well, this Rob Rob Palmer certainly isn't. I've forgotten somebody. So I I can't do this. This is too embarrassing. I I always do this. So I'm going to actually tell you exactly who got re-elected to the Chelsea Trust Board. Yes, me. Cliff Auger. Chris Rabin. DJ. Theresa McGee. Robert Palmer. Paul Hay. Dan Silver. Henry Fowler. There we go. And... uh, well done to you all, and as I said, all of the motions got passed way over ninety percent uh, in that, so that's very, very good. Right, um, next up, of course, CFC UK, uh, which is uh, the 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 name that Dean Mears chooses, Dean Mears CFC UK. Because he writes for them as do I. I've just put in my last blog, which, funnily enough, is very much trust centred. Uh, you can get it on Match Day. You can get it from any of the sellers on the uh, on the Fulham Road, uh, and you can get it home uh, get it home and away. It's often on the trains or around the grounds there. You can subscribe to it, uh, in, and if you're in the states, you can get it digitally going to uh, cfcuk.net, uh, or of course if you're in the USA, just uh, just message at cfcukusa on Twitter. Or uh, or get hold of Dan Lundberg at DLundberg underscore. And last, but by no means least, if you want to own a little bit of Chelsea and protect the future of the club, go and buy a share in the Chelsea Pitch Owners who, of course, own the freehold of Stamford Bridge and whose aim it is to ensure that Chelsea will play football at Stamford Bridge forever. Uh, shares are a lot more cheaper than they were, about 25 quid a pop now. So if you want one or want more information, go to info at chelseapitchowners.com Uh, You can follow them at Pitch Owners uh, on uh, Twitter. So there we go. Now, uh, that, I'm afraid, goodness me, deep, deep pause and breath to get through the last bit. But yes, that, I'm afraid, is all we've got time for tonight. Um, And also, it's got some sad news for you people who love listening to this every week. Uh, There will, in fact, be no podcast next Monday, the 17th of of September. Uh, Very good reason for this, because I will be away on holiday. I am going to Mallorca. Because I'm celebrating my 25th wedding anniversary, so my wife is whisking me away for a week in the sun. So I'm very sorry about that, but hey, needs must. Um, that means the next Monday night Chelsea Fancast will be on Monday, the 24th of September, and you'll have me, Jonathan Clayton Beerman, and Liam Toomey with you on that show. Now, don't forget uh, to tune in to Chelsea Fancast on Love Sport Radio. Uh, which will be on Thursday this week. Not Friday, Thursday. That's because I will be celebrating my 25th wedding anniversary with some of my closest chums and my wife, uh, so I can't do the show on Friday, but we'll be there on Thursday this week instead between 7 and 9. Uh, me, Jonathan Clayton-Bearman, and Mr Aaron Paul, I believe, will be back. And we'll be talking all things Chelsea and looking ahead to the Cardiff match, of course. And, of course, the best thing that you can do, of course, is to phone up. Phone us. Join the show. Several did last week. The wonderful Aure- Aurelius phoned up, uh, which was great to have a chat with him. We enjoyed that. We spoke to Liam uh, Dillon, the uh, the boxer, who won. Well done, Liam, if you're listening. We were all rooting for you and you brought it home. Well done, son. So there we go. So give us a call on Love Sport Radio. The number's 0208 70 558. And uh, before that, only shortly before that, of course, will be uh, me and Kerry doing the Kerry Dixon show on Thursday. So we'll be uh, talking about, obviously, the Cardiff game and anything else we can figure out as well. So there you go. And you can get all of these shows Uh, the uh, Kerry Dixon show, the Fancast, and of course the Love Sport Radio show as a podcast on Acast, Apple, and other podcast media. Marvellous. Now, finally, Twitter shout-outs. Us, Chelsea Fancast, me at Stamford Chidge, uh, Jonathan at Jonathan Kidd, uh, Ollie at OJ Harboard, and Joe at Joe Tweedy. Follow us, please, because if we don't get thousands of likes, we won't be half as good or brilliant or loved as the people who shout two-minute videos into their phone do, and I will be sad. As, as they said. I used to say on South Park, that would make me a very sad panda. Now, I don't really give a monkey's tit, to be honest, but uh, it's a good way to engage with you lot, and that's what matters. Uh, right, enough already. Well done to the Chelsea Fancast bloggers. We love you too. Uh, but most of all, a major, massive, mahoosive thank you to the wonderful Ollie Harbord and his great writing on football. London.
1: Thanks for having me again, mate. Can't wait to come back on uh, whenever you want me on next.
2: Yeah, I'll be getting a schedule out uh, sometime, probably from my uh, beach, uh, you know, from the beach yeah. in Mallorca. I will be tweeting out schedules. I don't know. I'll, I'll get it done sometime, hopefully this week before I go away actually. But yeah, always a pleasure having you on the show, Ollie. And thanks for having the common and good sense to let me write for you. No worries Obviously the people all. love it. No, no, no. <laughs> I'm only joking. I'm, I'm, I'm deeply in your debt and, you're, and I'm very grateful for the opportunity. Uh, Joe, as always, superb having you on the show. Uh, glad that we've had you on quite a lot recently. It, 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 the, the tone rises considerably <laughs> yes. when you're on the show and we are very grateful. Yeah,
3: cheers, it's Happy to be on Or uh, whatever.
2: Marvelous stuff. I I will be in touch. I'll get my people to speak to your people, mate. Uh, now, uh, last but by no means least, uh, we lost him for a, a few minutes earlier on, but uh, we can rebuild him, and in fact, we did. Uh, the marvelous Jonathan Kidd. Uh, I, I will see you on Thursday and then and Friday, Friday and, Saturday. and Saturday. And yeah, Saturday, you want to come. With you. To me. Well, you know,
0: as a as a as a birthday present, do you want to come and sit with me? No,
2: not birthday. Well, I an anniversary.
0: I mean, anniversary present. I mean, yeah. Yeah. well
2: I could do couldn't I yeah. yeah, I'll have to check because I don't know who I've agreed to meet of course <laughs> in my, uh, all, my usual what,
0: style or what state you'll be in of course after your uh, I might actually be rather due. unwell yes
2: yeah well, that is that is true I hadn't thought of that yeah Jeffrey Barnard and all of that mate it's been a real pleasure having you on the show thank you sorry i thought you had a bit of trouble earlier on no no, no problem
0: was it. Nah. I'm glad we worked it out so uh, good stuff and yeah, as always a we... joy to be on the same show as, uh, as Ollie and Joe fantastic mm. brilliant chats Isn't as always
2: great stuff all right, peeps, until the 24th of September. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Until then, keep it blue, keep it carefree, keep it Chels. Up it's the chills. It's the 90th minute